minus 30 seconds. T minus 20 seconds. You are now tapped into the coolest reptile podcast in the world. Welcome to episode 389, Tree Monitor Tuesdays. Yes, we're back, baby. Oh, we're back. And do we have quite the episode for you guys tonight? But what is good? I'm your boy, MJ. How's everyone doing out there? If this is your first time tapping in, do your boy, MJ, a favor, man. Hit that like button. Smash that subscribe button. Hit that notification bell. Select all You'll be notified for every single podcast I drop here on this channel. You can listen to this podcast on all the major audio platforms, such as Buzzsprout, um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you for all the love and support. No matter where you listen to this, thank you for spending your life with me. It's fun growing with all of you, and I got to say, all your guys' support just means everything to me. If you're looking for exclusive content, if you like to support uh, what I'm doing more further than just watching my show, um, and if you want to join the Patreon family, the Trap Talk family. Joe, go down to the very first link, click on it, join the Trap Talk Patreon family. As soon as you join the Patreon family, you get a link to the Discord that will tap in with over 170 real deal keepers in this industry. And it's just a lot of fun, man. I'm telling you right now, and uh, a lot of interaction, a lot of good way to market yourself with, with different species of uh, reptiles that people are working with. So I just want to say big salute to the entire Trap Talk family. Love you guys. But yeah, come join the family, come fuck with us, and I'll see you guys at the top. I want to say, though, today's episode is brought to you by Sim Container. Let's go, Sim Container. Less steps, less stress. If it's a Sim, it's a win. Anything I produce goes egg-wise, goes inside of a Sim Container. And been doing it since the beginning as far as all that goes, and it works. Works for not only me, works for a lot of other people. Sim is the truth. And I got to say, John and Alex, thank you so much for being the truth and being so supportive of this podcast. My very first sponsor ever right here. You're looking at it. So love those guys, man. Thank you so much. Go follow them on Instagram, Sim Container, okay? And get yourself a Sim box. It's the best. I also want to say that today's episode is brought to you by my boy over at Juggernaut Reptiles. Shout out to Elijah and, of course, shout out to his wife, Tiffany. If you're looking for someone who's really diverse in the reptiles and has awesome experience, not only breeding, but just how to put out YouTube stuff and just documentation. Um, this is your guy right here, man. This guy's been doing it for a while and it's cool to see people like an OG like this support my channel and my podcast and my vision. And yeah, been, been day one supporter since, uh, as long as I've known him. So thank you so much, Elijah. I appreciate your love and support. Go give him a follow on, uh, Instagram juggernaut reptiles. Appreciate them so much. Tiffany, thank you so much. And yeah, man, also when it's, when it comes down to shipping your next reptiles, you ship your reptiles. They're the pros. Number one in the game. Shout out to Susie. Shout out to Chad. Shout out to the entire ship your reptiles family. The real OG in the reptile industry. When it comes to shipping, man, make sure you take 15 bucks off your next shipment. Use promo code trap talk. And yeah, man, ready to rock and roll guys. Ladies and gentlemen, I got Brian Susan, my co-host tonight. It is not 
fucking amateur hour, bro. Sorry, I'm real excited to have you <laughs> have you here, buddy. Again, what's up? How are you? It's good to be here. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Rumor has it you have quite a bit to share tonight. I'm looking forward to it. Some cool stuff for sure, man. Some surprise, a surprise, yeah. bittersweet. But it's all moving forward now, right? So, yes, sir. Yes, yeah. sir. How's everything for you? I think last time I spoke to you, you just did a show recently, like a reptile show. Yes. Right? Yeah, I was just down at Reptilian Nation in Atlanta. It was good. It was my first time vending that. Um, it was nice. It was, it was good to check out a new show. And now I'm back. <clears throat> that was this past weekend, and that went well. So it's good to be good to be back with the collection. Had some fun stuff hatch out while I was gone. How far um, of travels did you did it take for you to get to uh, the show? Like how it's, a, it's a little over four hours. Um, so it's it's not too bad. You know, it's like a straight shot south for me. Um, so it was good. Yeah, just kind of shot down there and um successful show overall and i think it's got potential especially going forward um it's a relatively new show in atlanta with the reptilian nations a lot of mm -hmm. good advertising so i was i was pumped a lot of traffic it was good yeah i mean i, I since we're talking about success i want to say the feedback from our very first tree monitor tuesday segment huge hit everyone gave me nothing but love and uh i thought you and cody killed it um so i think we're on a good roll here i'm stoked because fuck we got the man himself brandon van Aston, the homie are right. you excited, excited to chop it over brandon tonight yes for sure always um definitely pumped to be on here with him and we've been kind of chatting over the week just about some things that we wanted to go over so it's always good having brandon you know being on a podcast with brandon and I'm, I'm pumped yeah man shout out to everyone in the live chats all the early birds Listen, don't be shy, man. If you have a topic or question or would just like to show some love, shoot a super chat. Super chats get priority. And, yeah, let's be active and let's get it cracking in the live chats. Um, you ready to get this show going, man? I'm excited. I'm ready to get this thing going. I'm ready to get Brandon tapped in and, and let's get some talking going on these tree monitors. You ready or what? Yeah, I'm ready. I was caught off guard, though. Are we still? Are you still doing the intro song? Yeah, of course. All so right. what? Yeah, so you know this is the this is the pre-intro, right? So we gotta we gotta this do our thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think you've done that. Normally you, you jump in after the intro, but you're my co-host tonight. So okay. you're you're actually doing the shout-outs to you know, I did my my sponsors so yeah, it's game time. It's Ray Rock and Roll. It's, it's Brandon Van Aston uh for this tree monitor fucking Tuesday. All right, let's do this shit, bro. Episode 389 <laughs> coming at you guys. Do what you gotta do to stay hydrated, do what you gotta do to get your mind right. But Canadian cold blood coming at you right now. Let's go. You ready to do, do more in the future? Trap yes. talk podcasts? Yes. Man. Only, only trap talk. Exclusive. Yes. Exclusive. Oh. So stop calling us. From the spot, get the club to pop. When I come up with the crop, God love it, love it, and not I'm hot from the hop to the spot, get the club to pop. When I come up with the club to spot, get the club to pop. When I come up
Episode 389, we're live. Brandon Van Asten in the building. What is up, buddy? What's going on, fellas? Happy to be here with two of the best-looking dudes in the reptile game. Look at you uh -huh. guys. Damn, man. Thank you. Much love, man. I got to say, you're keep you're keeping it legend with the hair growing. I love oh, it. I know. I got it quite a bit short, but now I can put it back up because it had all summer to grow. So, you know. Man. How's the summer been for you, buddy? It's good. It was good. Yeah, I did a long road trip halfway across Canada. Uh, came back to the U.S., so that was good. Fishing wasn't the greatest this summer, but caught a few big ones. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it was good. Can't complain, man. Yeah, and then you came home and uh, to a bunch of uh, mating, a bunch of locks going for you right now. I mean, it's crazy to see everything going at once. And when I mean everything, the species of tree monitors you work with, is that normally how it works for you? Everything goes all together, or, or, or what's it like typically? Um, uh, it depends on where they're at. But in the summer, because, because I do spend a bit of time up north, uh, at a cottage that I have, and I have some rental properties going up there. I tend to be MIA from the shop a little bit in uh, July and August. So I always, I always drop the photo period right down just because it gets pretty hot. And I'm always afraid that the air conditioning unit will fail or something. So I don't want the lights rocking 12 hours a day if, if the AC unit fails and have everything overheat. So it's a bit of a safety precaution that I do when I'm gone. Um, I do have an employee that goes in every day, but but uh, uh, anyways, so when I do get back and I'm in the full swing of things, I always bump the photo period back up. So I think those females that might be kind of statically sitting there almost ready to go, you know, that bump up in photo period and then I'm there to feed them a little more vigorously just kind of sets everything off. Brandon, Brandon forgive me. What are you saying? Photo period is what are you, what are you, what are you saying? I, I, I got to mind you. I, I don't, I'm not used to that term That's at all. all. It's all good. Uh, photo period is just like the hours of light to dark photo period okay i just never right. heard it i never heard it be said like that's fucking have you ever heard that before brian photo period mm -hmm. yeah. wow I, yeah yeah so i always write that the, one down <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i always reduce the lighting when i'm gone and then when i come back up i put it back to a normal kind of 12 and 12 and that Got that it. probably picked a few females in the pants to uh to uh cycle um a couple of those females that i posted pictures of it was just their natural kind of you know they're they're uh their natural part of their 30 or sorry their three month cycle anyways it just hit perfectly when i came back so mm. yeah i got really lucky man it was it made it for great photos that's for sure great photos in a great week <laughs> yeah so there's no heat there's also no basking for them while this is all happening correct You're, yeah, yeah there's yeah there's basking like in the summer when the photo period's reduced they, they still have a basking spot and they still have their uv light on it's just all the lights shut off much sooner than they normally would if i'm there and like i said it's just they don't overheat if something were to fail right like the air conditioning unit on the shop or something so you know and that's for two months you said about july yeah about two months yeah mm. wow it's not it's not it's not that i think it's necessarily beneficial so to speak it's just more to for a safety thing that i do yeah and do, you have, do you have a backup generator for your stuff i do yeah they're good they're yeah good. Like this, too, might not be a bad idea if you are concerned about that maybe getting like an additional mini split or something somewhere just as a fail safe in case something goes wrong while you're up there catching muskies yeah i know <laughs> you know and word has it brandon shot me a photo of where he is right now he's actually in an ice shack 
up in Canada right now. There's about a foot of ice. He's on a lake in an ice shack right now. This is, I have a, I have a minnow on a tip up and a cooler full of beer right beside <laughs> me. And, uh, I'm ready to go. <laughs> With his hockey gear. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I don't, Brian, I've talked to you plenty of times and there's really no cycling as far as lighting goes for you. You do the same shit year round, right? 12 hours mm -hmm. long. Cars off now and, and remind just me if there's uh any kind of cycling you do for the tree monitors whatsoever is it the food cycling that's more of a thing or not even like I'm, I'm just curious no there's nothing that i change up throughout the year i mean with like my geckos there's a big you know definitely like cut lights off for certain stuff but with the tree monitors i don't and okay. i find i find that you know once i have like a pair that's going strong or you know several pairs are going it's kind of just like clockwork. They're just going through that that three month cycle, and um, you know, give or take half a month. So cool. And there, there's not like an extra like, well, whose phone? Oh, yeah. There's not like an extra period of anything where you either spray them more or get them more wet or anything when they're paired up or you don't do anything like that either. No, I mean I do try. Like I, I missed my animals, um, and I do obviously have like. With the amount of animals that I have, just kind of in my collection in general, I run a misting system on all of my animals, um, except for like, you know, baby geckos or baby chondros that are in a rack. Um, obviously, I don't have a misting system on those. But for everything else, just for ease of use, um, you know, I'm, I'm running like I'm trying to mist everything that I do for sure. Yeah. Brandon, last time I had you on the show, you told me you were playing around with the dieting again. Correct me if I'm wrong, or or no, or, or we are you strictly just insects still for the most part? No, um, you know what? I, uh, I, I, I last time I was on, I was just trying solely bugs, mm -hmm. um, and uh, <clears throat> uh, I, I kind of went off that. I started. I got a boatload of quails, and I started quails and. Uh, not, you know, if I'm feeding three or four times a week, it's, you know, two or three of those feedings are insects and then once a week, some quails. And then, uh, you know, now I'm doing on that one day where it's, you know, quail day, I'll, I, I've introduced some, some rodents again. Um, so yeah, so not, not a ton, but I've done it. I've, I've went back to what I was doing prior. Okay. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I, uh, I don't, I, as long as you're careful with how much, I think the, the rodents can be quite beneficial. At least that's what I've seen. So, uh, but yeah, people have a tendency to overdo that. That's the yeah. When you feed, what kind of, are you doing any supplementation on your, on your, you know, whether it be rodents or crickets or quail, what do you, what do you normally supplement with? Yeah, I, I, well, I, I use the, like your standard calcium powders and, and D3 powders, but mm -hmm. I, uh, I have I use a few brands just on rotation to get some variation. So I have three different supplements that I that I use. Mm -hmm. uh, totally commercial. Anybody can get them. It's they're nothing secretive. It's just I just rotate them in case one is better in one way than the other. So at least they're sort of balanced that way. I got yeah. you. And you do like with your food items, what what types of food items are you actually breeding in your facility? Are you doing the rodents at your place? Yeah, I breed. Yeah, I breed my own. Uh, I breed my own mice, okay. um, just because I've never been happy with the quality of the mice that I've ever received. And this way, I know exactly what they're eating. I feed them the best diet. I, you know, I think is out there for them. And and uh, yeah, they're healthy rodents. And I, I think that translates well to 
to healthy lizards too, right? Same with the insects. I mean, I don't raise my own crickets, obviously, but uh, I make sure they're all really, really, really well gut loaded, right? With a whole variety of stuff that they mow on 24 hours before I feed. And and uh, I do breed some roaches, although I don't, <laughs> I don't get into the roach bin and sort through and grab as many as I should. So I, I'm pretty much crickets for, for, uh, for the insect feeders, but uh, I'd yeah. love to do more rodents. It's just, I have to dial in a system of, of uh, separating sizes and just get the time to do it. Right. It does take a bit of time, but. It's yeah. interesting. It's interesting what, like how different individuals will just have such preferences, you know, even amongst like, you know, if you're going through a certain animal doesn't like crickets, this animal doesn't like roaches, this animal doesn't like my, like every one of them is so different. Yeah. I feel like the most continuity that I have is with stuff that I've actually raised up myself for my offspring. Yeah. Um, but do you have like a bunch of different picky eaters in your collection that like you have to kind of, I guess, specialize food items for certain ones or? Um, everything eats crickets pretty well uh, with vigor. Everything seems to like roaches. Um, everything likes rodents, right? If so, and when I say rodents, I'm not doing pinkies, but they're like fuzzies. So they have a bit of bone growth and stuff on them. Tiny bit of, tiny bit of hair. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, it's, it seems to be that it's hit or miss with the quails for me. Maybe yeah, a lot of stuff I raised up. I didn't introduce quail right away. And it was something that was kind of an afterthought when they were already adults and, and that. So, and then, you know, it could be, it's, it's almost like some of them are spoiled. They turn their nose up at the quail because they know if they, if they don't eat that, that I'll feed them a, a rodent or something on that day. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like that, that's it, I, I think. But, and it's sometimes situational. Like, I don't know you, Brian, I don't know if, uh, if you have ones that that like quails and then they'll eat them eat them eat them and then all of a sudden they'll be like one day they decide they don't want them for yeah one. exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had, i have animals that do that for sure and then like you know sometimes if it's a female that can be an indicator for me that like yeah maybe she's kind of yeah. going into a cycle or is about to lay but um yeah, yeah it's a weird thing that when they kind of are good on one food item and then all of a sudden they quit and it's like they want something else and then you got to figure out what they want I just yeah. want to I want to throw that out there that my laces put me through the same shit, you know, like all, all of a sudden, really? like their one treat of the week would be a rat, right? But then all of a sudden, Alice will deny a rat, but she'll take mm -hmm. a mouse, but I'll have like a mouse or she'll take a quail, you know what I mean? So I, I think they're smart enough to like want what they want to at times. So, and then, and mm -hmm. if they know, well, I'll say no to this and maybe he'll get something else. I think they're smart. You know what I mean? I think yeah, they, they know. I think some of mine know for sure. <laughs> like, no, I didn't, I didn't order. Spoiled. They're like my children, my kids, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, one thing I want to talk about is, you know, because one thing that's kind of a huge, not really, I don't want to say argument, but you have some people who solely believe in only giving their ball pythons a, a African software rat, right? And they say that the protein and the, like the, the fat content is just, a lot more balanced and perfect in that versus a rat and other people are saying that they see better clutch numbers and, and stuff like that right and then other people are like well ah, that's a little far-fetched but i'm wondering if that's anything that you guys have considered for females laying healthy clutches like obviously an obese female or something that's not on a on on a clean enough diet isn't good right but like you know you were mentioning brandon how a certain point in time a rodent 
meal could be very beneficial to kind of kicking that female to actually get into ovulation mode or something like that. But I'm just curious if there's a one side of a diet that you feel is like a best bet for something you're trying to breed when it comes to tree monitors, you know? I honestly, probably insects, man. I mean, uh, you'd be amazed at how lean a female tree monitor will look and still give you five, six perfect eggs, right? right. Most people might look at that animal and be like, oh, <laughs> she's skinny or she's too lean just because they're used to seeing your typical reptile in the hobby. And, uh, you know, they they will still, like I have a female right now. I, I sent you that picture. You'll probably show it. But you, if you looked at her on the branch, you'd like, oh, there's no way that she could cycle right she's a little bit lean and and of course tonight just before i come to do this is, is she's like hanging on the wall right and she's she's starting the cycle and it's funny because the male that was with her uh she's one of my captive bred females and i have a uh we're talking about the blue one. we're talking about the blue one right yeah yeah so yeah the blue tree yeah and and so the um yeah that's right that's her there and she she's with a an import male and he's a really big male i got him back in december he's beautiful but he's deathly afraid of everything and he hides 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 and and one of the things i i know i was watching her and it's about she laid about three months or two months ago and <laughs> i put this new male in with her and uh he was hiding 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 i put him in about three weeks ago didn't see him and then i was watching on the cameras and when i'm in the shop and i see him out more and i see him out more and he's like hanging out and i'm like okay she's probably giving off the signals that she's starting to go through vitiligenesis and cycle right and uh because i was just seeing him a lot and uh, and of course there she is hanging on the wall today uh starting the cycle and he's right out you know he's if if i'm not looking at him he's out towards her so but she was really like she if she's laying flat on a branch like basking she looked pretty lean but she's you know she's predominantly got crickets all summer long like she laid back i think the end of june early july um or like yeah yeah early july so this is about the time that you'd see her cycle again and she's pretty much only had crickets because when my you know when i'm not there that's what i just tell my uh my employee to feed just just throw crickets in there and yeah so i didn't really do anything special with her i have given her a few rodents in the last couple of weeks since i've been home uh every day but uh yeah she just cycled just pretty much on bugs and yeah, yeah but i did post a, a post a picture there on i think friday night of my cordensis locked up right and that was that first for me right. and um again she was an animal that that uh i got back in i think june and um and she was fed bugs all summer and she was showing signs of of building so on literally on wednesday and thursday i fed her a few pinkies right i thought well maybe this will put her over the edge oh. so this is where the pinkies come in i thought maybe that'll put her over the edge and uh so i fed her probably two or three pinkies on wednesday and another couple on thursday and then friday night they were locked up so i don't know if that had anything to do with it but maybe that little extra boost i think that's where pinkies come in like rodents right but like for instance how like because i you know i i was hurt i was told that if they still want to eat go ahead and feed them you know what i mean sure. um so are you still offering some sort of a meal to them every single day or or how often are you feeding when in this stage like if you see that all right they're mating she's hungry like you know because I, I noticed there is yeah. a there's a little bit of a like a 
pep in their step when they eat. Like they're like a lot, a little bit more aggressive when they yeah. eat. You know what I mean? So, so how often are you doing that, 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 uh, that offering of a, a fuzzy or, or some type of a rodent compared to a, a, an insect? This, this, like she was obviously building to me. She was starting to hang on the wall. So mm -hmm. that's when I was like, okay, it, you know, I offered her two couple days in a row, some rodents. But going forward, after they have a few good locks like this, I'll just feed her every second day like normal. Um, until she ovulates, I might give a few more rodents so she can build up some extra fat for the eggs. But after that, it's just normal. Just normal, mostly bugs. And then once a week, try, try a quail or a rodent or something. Yeah. Yeah, nothing special. That was just to put her over the edge, I thought. You know, that's what I thought in my head. I was like, I'll just feed her a little bit of extra fatty meal just to kind of get her maybe past some sort of hump and i don't know if it worked or not but they were locked up they may have been locked up anyways whether it did that or not i don't know um i'm curious um you know back to this photo that we had up with you know the uh the hanging of the blue tree monitor yeah um now we were talking about how like the lot it looked low right? on this on this photo that we're looking at i'll pull it back up you know, a lot of it uh is mainly like carrying lower um and then it kind of like as we get closer to ovulation that that mass that like we're all that 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 gut sap basically kind of yeah. kind of moves higher it's more more of a midsection correct yeah so there that mm -hmm. one is just just building follicles in her ovary right and i find when they do that it almost looks like they have towards their rear hips it's like <laughs> honestly the smaller the the female it almost looks like they swallow a bit of a hockey puck or something they have like you can almost see their ovaries just swollen in their sides right right and uh yeah that and then that's when they typically hang and stuff and that's that's like okay they they should start breeding any time here and then that picture there is uh is a female black tree that that uh was breeding i think she was locking in around like september 7th through you know september 7th through 9th she had a bunch of good locks and she was building then and this was a picture of her what i consider her ovulating and it, it's maybe not the best shot but but she uh, she was swollen but it's it's more of a a whole abdominal swelling rather than more of a paunchy beer gut on her you know yeah, so at this point, <clears throat> what's the typical feeding schedule like once they get ovulated and once they hit the ovulation stage for you? Yeah, so she's like, I've offered her, she, she did this, and I've offered her food the last couple of days, even a pinky or so, and she's just, I think she's just uncomfortable, and she just did, she just refused. Once once the, you know, once the eggs settle in the oviducts and she goes back to, you know, getting a little more comfort, then she'll she'll feed like regular every second day again until she lays. And is she already digging at this point or or does that kind of come a, like a lot sooner before she lays? Nah, she's been exploring the nest box. Uh, she's been in and out. They, they're smart. They prepare a little bit, right? They know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're the one that tells me it's like, I mean, not, not all the time, but fuck, you have certain, certain females that just yeah. lay wherever they want to lay, no matter what you give them. Um, yeah. And here I am like, you know, all three clutches I've ever gotten from my Prisinas, uh, you know, they've been, I, I don't think I've only had maybe one or two that have been laid perfectly in the nest box, but the rest are on the floor. Um, so I, I did what you advised or what you did definitely uh, this time around. I put like at least fucking 18 inches of soil right next to the um, nest box. So, cause that's where they, last time she laid them right behind the nest box. So like yeah. I compacted a bunch of soil with a little bit of sand and just, 
you know, but now she's digging in that cork. Um, because like, you know, I've told you that Cody gave me that advice. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's sweet, you know, he swears by how uh his tree monitors love laying in the cork in the cork wood. Um, and sure enough, she's now digging a fucking complete perfect hole in the cork hood in the cork wood. So um yeah. who knows? It's always like a goddamn gamble, but I mean, I yeah. mean um, that's like yeah, like that one that I dumped the soil beside the nest box, like that was you know, I was watching her for a couple of days and she was just not interested in the two options of nest boxes I had for her. And I was just like, it was like a last ditch effort. Like, I'm just going to put soil everywhere and hope you pick a spot. Right. So I just piled it all around and beside the nest box. And as soon as it did that, man, she literally just dug in the dirt right beside the nest box and within minutes of it going in there. Right. And then she laid right, like literally there was an eighth of an inch bit of plastic between the inside of the nest box and where she laid it doesn't make any sense to me but that's yeah. what she did and that's why i was like maybe there's something with the material of the nest box the color of the lid on it right or whatever i i really don't know the orientation of the opening um that she didn't like and it just was not suited to that one and then you know that's that's kind of rare most of them lay okay there's a few uh, a few that are picky that I still got to sort out. So I don't know what I'm going to do with those ones. What was it? One of you who said that like, they like a lot more space too, like, <clears throat> like, you know, cause a lot typically a nest box for monitor. You want to fucking camp. You want it, that soil to be just like compacted to the very brim of it. But I heard that you don't really want to do that with tree monitors. You want to give, they want a little bit more space versus the, the soil just kind of coming out. Is that, am I, is, is that correct? I don't know if that's right. I don't know. I mean, Brian, what do you think? Like, do you guys give like a little bit of room, <clears throat> room at the top, or I have a little bit of space on mine, <clears throat> um, but I think if you were to do it to the brim, and if you offered, you know, different openings, I, I don't see it really making that huge of a difference. But, but maybe I mean that could be like that could be a reason why you know certain picky females don't lay at a certain time. But it's like. The majority of mine, yeah, they maybe have a couple inches um, at the top. But um, do you pack yours to the very brim, Brandon, so that it's like right at the opening? No, like I'm the same as you. There's probably a there's probably a couple inch, you know, air gap in between the soil and the lid. Um, one of my concerns with like this the the style nest box that I was using was the fact that I thought maybe the lid was not opaque enough where there was visible light come like penetrating just a little bit because it was a colored lid so i started oh, using sheet, sheets of plywood on there to make it totally opaque and no light coming in and that really didn't seem to make any difference for the ones that didn't want to use that box mm -hmm. so I, I there might be something to actually getting them wedged into the nest box like having them really struggle to kind of dig in under the lid like there might be some to that for some girls anyways like i'll tell you a story i had uh i had a blue tree monitor um lay a really funny clutch so she was out i knew she was ready to lay and the nest boxes what i do is um you know, Brian, I, Brian kind of said, you know, he heats his nest boxes on the bottom. And I think he put it on the side too, Brian, or he did at one point or. Yeah, kind of both. yeah. Yeah. So I, um, so what I did was I put a, uh, a heat pad and the thermostat probe underneath the nest box, but 
I was afraid that the weight of the nest box might compress the thermostat probe and the heat pad together and maybe wear a hole in the, you know, the heat mat or something. So I wanted something underneath the nest box that was nice and fluffy. So I put an inch layer, about an inch and a half layer of peat moss down. I dug out the cypress mulch and I filled about an inch and a half layer where the nest box would go of peat moss and then put the heat pad on that with the probe uh, so that it wouldn't, you know, damage the heat mat on a hard wooden surface for my enclosures. And so that female disappeared and I'm like, okay, great. She's in the nest box. I let her go. She came out of the nest. Well, I thought she came out of the nest box. She came out and she sat on the branch and I'm like basking and I'm like, okay, yeah, she laid her eggs. So I'm going to go look for them. So I opened the lid of the nest box and I'm looking around in there and I'm like, she didn't even dig in here. I'm like, where the hell are the eggs? So I'm starting to like panic. I'm like, I got to find the eggs before bugs find them or something. Right. And so I'm looking through the enclosure, ripping bark out and digging mulch up. And I'm like, she didn't lay anywhere. I'm like, what the hell's going on? And uh, so finally, I was like, well, the only place she could have laid was maybe under the nest box. So I picked the nest box out and I have uh, underneath the heat pad in that inch thick layer of peat moss. She had dug underneath the nest box in an inch, basically fit her whole body in that inch long or inch tall gap dug a little chamber laid all of her eggs underneath the nest box in that mulch came out and that's why i couldn't find them so wow. and they were all perfect right under the heat mat wow yeah it was crazy so that might be something to them needing to really squish into a space you know right. maybe the nest boxes we have are just too big like you could get away with like a you know a, a cereal box style nest box where it's really thin and they're compressed and you never know yeah. i'm not go ahead brian I'm just going to say, I think there's so much we have to learn about, like, and, and experiment with, with nest boxes, you know? Oh, yeah. I, I want to, you know, to talk on that, I want to say maybe we're doing too much. And the reason why I'm saying that, Brian Waterloo is somebody I look up to when it comes to getting advice and, you know, speaking about lace monitors and whatnot. And typically, you know, you have people who have pretty large nest, nest boxes for these lace monitors. Mm -hmm. Um because I was told, you know, you know, obviously I've seen pictures also how deep they fucking could go and and how big they could get. Now, mind you, the bigger the, the bigger the nest box, the more harder it is to control temperatures, right? Wow. Something like that. Um, so Waterloo has something where it's literally 13 inches tall, 18 inches across, and like another like nine inches deep or something. It's small. Um, and he gets perfect, like late, like he first first and foremost his temperatures are consistent and exactly how he wants his nest box to be for them to lay in um and i'm just I, when i went and saw how small they were in person i was like this is the exact opposite i was told you're supposed to do um but if you have something that's more fitting to their to their you know to what they want as far as temperatures and you know it being more crammed and more small and more compact you know that might be something you might want to do um versus giving them I mean, what are your guys' average size of your your nest box? How, how that's that's part of the problem, though. Like, if I could just, if we can come back to that size in just a second, the the problem is, is we don't know exactly how these animals are nesting in the wild. You you know, there's like what one account of there being a termite nest that was used. That's one account from one species. Um, where who knows? You know, we and and every species could be different. I mean just looking at like like i work with the tree monitors and i work with pilbara rock monitors um and i kind of offer it like the nesting box style that i offer everything all of my monitors is very similar 
But if you look at just different species across the board and different families of reptiles, geckos, for instance, you can have different species of geckos that are laying totally different. And just because we look at a black tree and then we look at a cordensis and like, oh yeah, they're both tree monitors. They have to be doing the same thing. Like we don't know exactly what all these things are nesting in. So trying to figure it out is part of a puzzle that we just are kind of clueless to, you know? So do you think there's some sort of happy medium for like, where like, okay, maybe they do lay, lay a little bit more like Asian water monitors or, or lace monitors. And also they maybe lay kind of similar to geckos. Like there's like a little bit of like everything that you could possibly be getting out of a tree monitor is what you're saying. I'm just saying we like, we don't know. We have such limited in information. Like I said, to my knowledge, I've only ever heard of one account of like a nest being found. Um, so I'd, you know, I'd love to hear more about that because just across the board, like black trees could be nesting in a total different spot than blue trees. And we, we don't know, you know, we just don't know. Well, I mean, you guys have both bred multiple species of tree monitors, right? From what yeah. I know, Brian, you have, right? Or just blues? Yeah, okay. blues, yellows, and cordensis so far. Okay. All and I have that's, that's of sexable or a breedable size at the moment. And there's nothing you do different with those, correct? Like everything's the same with those, right? Um, yes, the nesting boxes, I'm kind of experimenting with some different things right now. Um, but I've offered like between the yellows and the blues, it's been consistent. The um, Two different pairs of cordos have laid clutches um, that have been, one of them that's kind of fertile and in the incubator now was just kind of kicked out. Oh, wait, I'm sure people want to know what happened to the egg you had. Should we, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, should we let them know? Should we drop the goods? I mean, I don't want to know if it's good. But. Yeah, so, I mean, but like to, I guess to put into, like before we jump into that, that same female that threw out that kind of mystery egg, she, after that happened, I paired her with another, with a male, just to make sure that like the next round would be hopefully fertilized. And even with those, she she did not like the nest box that i had in there so but to be fair too that's like they're a smaller species than the others and the nest box that i'm using is the same size that i offer the blues and the yellows so maybe you know maybe they want something tighter and that's kind of something that i'm experimenting with right now um so we'll see but yeah with that egg so for those who kind of were in on the last podcast and kind of heard about that there's a female that um, was acquired from a friend of mine that was back in uh, December of 21. Um, and potentially could have been, there, there was two animals that were basically, that went to a friend of mine. And um, one of them was raised since it was a hatchling. Um, and the other was an import that was in for a month. And I just recently, um, as in yesterday, uh, got some further info to try to figure out which that was. Either way, a female that is in my collection laid a clutch of eggs that, you know, as far back as December 21 um, had not been with any male, potentially could have been raised individually since it was a baby, um, got a fertile egg. Long story short, the egg hatched, I had a baby cordo. Um, but unfortunately, as you can see, uh, it did not develop properly. The body was perfect. Uh, the tail was was slightly a little bit corkscrewy, but you can see there's a reduced eye on this side. And then on the other side of the head, uh, there is no eye at all. And the, the jaw was kind of definitely deformed. Um, so 
Interesting. I mean, it's either, you know, I'm going to do a little bit more investigating, but it's either going to be a case of, you know, retain sperm pre-December 2021 or um, a, case, a case of parthenogenesis uh, where the female has never been with a male at all. And, you know, we've seen this with, with certain species of monitors and other reptiles as well. Um, and, you know, if you look at it from an evolutionary standpoint, it's definitely like a great thing potentially of, for, for an animal that's on some of these little small islands, you know, hurricane comes, blows something off, animal ends up on an island, you know, somewhere far away and it's one animal. I mean, you know, what we've got morning geckos that you can have, they're all females, right? I mean, they, they only reproduce via parthenogenesis if i'm not mistaken is that right with morning geckos brandon i think yeah yes uh, like lugubris or something I, i'm not sure if it's morning yeah. geckos i don't i don't know but there are species of gecko you're right that are all like yeah. very parthenogenic anyways yeah. so, but like just just so, just so people understand like if that was the result of mating between th that female and a male that would have been like a year and four or five months ago right brian and that's and that's so that would have been retained sperm for a year and five months which is if it was that's yeah if, yeah if that was the case yeah, um, if it was i don't it's not i don't think it's likely i think you're probably looking at a partho one there yeah i i, I don't know i i was i just received photos from my friend who had was the original one to record to get these from um the importer so we'll find out um i'm going to do some more digging but either way it's a novel thing you know yeah. to my knowledge it hasn't been recorded with cordensis and I, I haven't heard of it being recorded with with tree monitors obviously again like we know about it with komodos um right. a couple other species of, of monitors out there but either way it's uh still interesting and potentially a first um, it's just a bummer that the little guy didn't make it because, unfortunately, as you can see, I mean that that animal had to be euthanized. So yeah, yeah, uh, the body looks amazing though, like you were saying, like yeah, oh, dude, yeah. and the poor little guy had spunk too. I mean, he was trying to crawl around, but um, you know, I tried to get in there and like open the mouth just with an index card, and everything was jacked up in there. So poor guy. Um, I did I did keep the specimen? I do have it, you know, pickled and. Um, so, you know, at some point later down the road, if I'm making a sandwich, I can just slice it up and add it to a nice turkey. And <laughs> <laughs> hey, Brian, I'm going to ask you this. Um, you might know this more because you probably have more lychee on us than I do, but have you ever had a partho lychee egg? I have not, but I, I, so my friends, Andrew and Sarah Gilpin are actually staying at the house tonight. They're out herping as we speak. Yeah. We, I had the, the podcast tonight. Um, but I talked to them about this earlier. I personally have had partho eggs that looked fertile, uh, didn't go the distance. Um, most of the lychees that were partho that have hatched out, I think, usually have something wrong with them and they don't end up making it. Mm -hmm. um, however, yeah, that's, I that's believe, yeah, so Andrew was telling me that the Salzmans, uh, Kyle and Crystal at Gekonidae's geckos, they've got several generations of partho babies perfectly healthy from a single female that has excuse me that has been kicking out healthy offspring wow. so you know okay. it's not always the case you know that they're that they're jacked up like that but um that was kind of cool to to hear okay because yeah i had i had one partho lychee egg and that that baby was 
like you said, all jacked up too. Mm. I didn't even hatch. It went full term, didn't hatch, but it was all messed up. And I was just wondering if that's like, you know, for the Cordo to have the deformities like that, you know, maybe that is a thing with Parso, Partho for some things. I don't know. You know, it's just, mm. it seems more common in Lichianus, I guess, like the, when, when you get the partho offspring that there's there's something abnormal about them usually but again i i don't have many so i don't know that's just kind of what i hear yeah well that's more than i've had because i've never had any hatch okay yeah can we get measurements in the nest box please <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so hey i was gonna say years ago before i even had tree monitors i kind of figured out um <laughs> with the with the nest boxes in the odatria so all the australian stuff and i i, I was always trying to like minimize the nest box and 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 kind of make it in there so i could put more cage furniture in there and i i i would do like specific sized nest boxes for all of the different odatria depending on their size because i would realize that they would dig in one side they'd dig a tunnel and then they'd wrap the tunnel around and they would put an egg chamber back kind of towards where they started and uh for them to do that they had to have a certain size nest box to make the correct turn and, and chamber where they wanted it or else they didn't like it right red ackies i found anyways were the most particular with that so i had made nest boxes according to the size of the adult right so pilbaras i could get away with a you know a smaller nest box and those dims might be like you know 12 10 inches by 10 inches by 8 inches tall and then for kimberly's obviously they're a lot longer i would make their nest box 12 by 10 by eight inches tall and then Aki's I would do like a, a 16 by 16 and um, eight inches tall as well and and that seemed to work for them so when I was thinking or envisioning containers for tree monitors that I would use for their nest box you know I'm kind of looking at the adult size and kind of you know visualizing the dimensions that they might use if they nested the same way as those odatria where they dig the tunnel they curb the tunnel and they have the egg chamber at the end and um you know i i haven't found that the tree monitors actually do what the odatria do in terms of the of the tunneling like that and the you know the chamber like a couple of them have done that but on mass they haven't done that so yeah. it's something that like you know again so that might not hold true those observations for the tree monitors um so i yeah so i, I don't know there's you know but most of them probably brian too right most of them do use those nest boxes uh well it's just you get the odd stubborn one right that you have sure. to figure something out for like i had uh i had again i i did an import of some animals back in december i got some some male blues for genetic diversity and some female a couple female blue trees for some genetic diversity and uh uh one of those females she uh <laughs> You know, she was a really nice female um and she's she i had her she laid a clutch of eggs august 2nd so i got her december she laid a clutch of eggs august 2nd and uh you know did the typical nest box for her too um and uh she didn't she didn't like that i piled the dirt beside the nest box like i did for that other one and uh you know i thought okay she's got some options she'll use it so again she she disappeared appeared obviously like she'd laid i dig through the nest box because she had actually dug around in there she didn't lay in the nest box she didn't lay in the pile of dirt and i had this vertical cork tube just 
up against the wall and it was going down and and it, just the butt end of it was in the cypress mulch and and she had gone in the cork tube dug down in the cypress mulch and laid in the bottom of the cork tube just in the mulch huh. out of all the places she could have laid so you know there was a cork tube layer there so next time with her <laughs> yeah next time with her what i'm going to do is i'll probably i'll keep that cork tube where it was but i'll put the butt end of it the ground end in like a tub of dirt that way she can actually dig down maybe and, and lay them and they can cover them up and there's less less risk that they'll be damaged by something or a bug or whatever right so that was another oddball one but I mean, I, I, I like I've had Mike Monitors on the show. Shout out to Uncle Mike, and, I, and I'm pretty sure he was the first one who mentioned something about a boreal or not a boreal, but like elevated mounds. And I'm just wondering where that's at. Has anyone out there even successfully gotten tree monitor eggs out of a nest, uh, a nest that was high up in their enclosures? I'm curious if that's even a thing right now, or 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 is everyone who's having success with tree monitors just doing? nesting on the floor where it's at like where, where, where i'm just wondering if you guys heard anything about that yet putting your mines on the floor and i mean I, yeah to that question you're looking at about like the boxes that i'm using are around like two feet long by like 15 by 15. um but i'm changing that you know uh some use it but uh you know it, you're, you're talking about a lot of dirt and to get it to the point where if you want to have the, the proper consistency it's heavy so if you're going to take something like that and you're going to mount it up in your tank, that's a lot of weight to be hanging on the wall of PVC or whatever, if you're making a stand. Yeah. Um, and yeah. again, like, yeah, I, I would love, man, I, I wish there was a biologist out there who's actually working with these things year round and like tracking them and following them because we could gain so much um, because who knows? Maybe, yeah. yeah, there was that one termite nest, but maybe yeah, there's no, yeah. it doesn't, you know. Yeah, there's there's people that do get eggs in elevated nest boxes, and and I, you know, what uh, people, Brandon? Who? Uh, there's a couple European guys that use them that I've seen. Oh, European, all right. That's yeah, and there and there have been people in in the past in the U.S. that have used them. I've talked to people when I first started breeding tree monitors that got eggs in elevated nest boxes, but um, you know, then that's you know, it could be just that female. It could be that there was no other options for that female, so she just laid where the most suitable place was. Um, nothing, I, I've talked to Brian about this, but in my collection, nothing about what they do tells me that they lay in the trees or lay not on the ground. Nothing. Mm. They, I, I don't know. It's just what I see. Nothing. I mean, to me, it doesn't make sense that they would lay in a tree hollow or something like that because... You know, if you're laying in a, you know, a, a, a hole in a tree or a hollowed out branch elevated, I mean, that's a beacon for everything to look in, right? Anything that walks on that tree, flies up to that tree, you know, any predator, any scavenger, any, anything will go in there and sniff around and take a look. And if you have eggs in that hole, forget about it. I mean, that just, that just doesn't make sense to me. I could be totally wrong, but it just doesn't make sense. I, I mean, don't know. Granted, granted, they do bury, they'll bury those eggs. And I could, like, I could see, like, the, the termite thing makes sense to me in a way that potentially, like, some termites can have a defense mechanism to keep stuff out. Yep. Um, yeah. But, you know, again, I, 
yeah, root masses and plants make sense too. And like these animals are definitely going to the ground. It's not like a tree monitor spending its whole entire life up in the trees and never comes down to the ground. Um, we just, yeah, again, we need, we need more data, you know, we need yeah. more data. Well, I mean, okay. We're, we're, I was talking earlier about controlled temps and whatnot. Well, what, 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 what in the wild holds on to temps? The floor, you would well, say. Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's a difference between you know captive controlled temps and probably right. what occurs in the wild, right? There's right. there's probably much more fluctuate. Not not a great amount, but you know, there's no solid eighty five. The only thing that would keep a solid eighty five, let's say, would be like a termite mound, right? Yeah. Um, because they regulate temperatures, they create air vents, and they regulate humidity, and they do what they need to do to maintain that constant internal nest environment. But right. one of the things that always like I, I think about too is if if you're a predator in the trees, let's say, or even a rodent in the trees, and you learn that tree monitors nest or that there's eggs in termite mounds, you're going to learn that pretty quick and you're going to investigate every termite mound for eggs, right? It's like turtles laying on the beach, right? The only reason some of them survive is because they do it on mass and there's so many eggs, they flood the, the predator stream, right? With, with food, um, you know, ter tree monitors don't do that. So I think if they laid their eggs in a pinpoint location, like a termite mound, things would catch on very quickly. I, I don't know. That's just me, but. Right. What do you think? Potentially, yeah, potentially. I also think, um, you know, we have this idea, like, as far as incubation temps, um, you know, we're creating a very unnatural situation. We're doing the best we can to try and hatch out eggs healthily, you know, have healthy babies. Mm -hmm. um, in the wild, yeah, there is fluctuations with eggs. Um, and I think... I, I would presume so. Again, I can't say for sure because I have not studied tree monitors in the wild and put a temp probe to, to look at fluctuations, but most eggs out there in the reptilian world can handle fluctuations. In some oh. cases, it's good, you know? Um, so I also think we need to kind of not paint a narrative as, as though they're only laying in somewhere that's going to be a constant temperature throughout. There's definitely going to be changes. However, you are dealing with, a, you know, a, cl like a climate that is pretty stable throughout the year. There's changes, you know, minor changes day, you know, obviously there's changes day to night, um, but it's not like you're having crazy massive fluctuations like we're having in a temperate zone. And um, mo most places in America can't match that type of fucking temperature unless it's super controlled. So that's right. That's why, it's why we incubate eggs, you know, we, you know, we figured that out, but in the wild that's not to say and and you know it was like a while ago i had this scare i had a freak out and brandon coached me through this and kind of gave me some hope because it was the winter we were late fall and i had a clutch of blue trees and my power went out and my generator failed oh, and so i'm freaking all my get you know everything's going to be fine except i've got this incubator that i'm cooking at 85 and yeah. so i'm sitting there and i'm like hoping and hoping that the power is going to come back on. I start calling people like, Hey, um, I'm in this situation. Can I come to your house if I need to, I'm going to pack up an incubator, all these things. And what ended up happening is the temps in the incubator dropped down to a level where I'm like, okay, it's do or die. I need to make a move. And what I ended up doing, excuse me, is I took the eggs, I took the containers and I brought like three containers. I think I had like 
three clutches of blues and a clutch of yellows, and I brought them all out into my car. I had heated the car previously, got it ready. It was out there with temp guns, and I was like mother hen, like sitting on them <laughs> throughout the car and making sure, like, as I'm blasting the heat. And I'm just like, I'm just going to ride this out. And if I have to, I'm going to drive down to my friend's house who was at a different spot where she had power. And But the moral of that story is those eggs, I mean, they went through a fluctuation that was, was pretty serious. And then, you know, after the fact, I was telling Brandon about the story. And I think he had told me something about some, you know, Kimberly rock eggs or some Australian species of, of monitor that the eggs got super cold. Oh, yeah. And uh, they came back. I mean, what happened in that situation? Yeah, that that was like years ago when I uh, when I before I had the farm and the facility, I would I had all these enclosures in the basement. I used a lot of dirt, and I'd do this like annual swap of dirt where I'd have to lug buckets of dirt up the stairs from the basement, and I'd pour it all on the floor of the garage, and then put it in the back of my truck and then drive it out. So <laughs> I'm emptying all the dirt out of all these enclosures. And this is in like November, December. So my garage isn't heated. Right. And it's like, it gets really cold in there. So I have this mountain of dirt in there for a couple days uh, that I had removed from all the enclosures. And then I'm shoveling it in the back of my truck. And as I'm shoveling it, I see a couple eggs I'm like, oh, cra crap, I missed them, right? Like, I, I didn't even know they were there. I just was scooping, shoveling dirt in the buckets. And it was cold in that garage. Like, I'm talking, you know, in Fahrenheit, I'm not sure. But, you you know, maybe 10 degrees Celsius or something, right? Like, really cold. And uh, even colder than that. Like, I'm being generous with that. It got cold. And they were probably in there for a couple of days before I decided to unload them back truck. I took those eggs and put them in the incubator. And they still hatched. They were Pilbara rock monitors, <laughs> right? <laughs> so that's something that you think you have to keep at uh, at 85 degrees, let's say, like every other monitor, right? And they hatched, man. They went through a period of real cold temps, you know? And I had the same with blue trees, right? I had, uh, yeah. you know, I had uh, the power go out at my, when I first moved to the farm. I had a tree fall on the hydro lines that led to my house. The power was out for six days. And, uh you know, I had a Jenny kind of trying to run the incubator and, but they were, they were, they were in that incubator and the temperature dropped to probably, you know, high, mid to high seventies when I wasn't there. And I wasn't worried about that one at all. Right. Cause I just, you know, I, I'd, I'd seen worse before. So I was like, okay, but yeah, like I always say with incubation, the eggs, the eggs are tough. Like a good egg is pretty tough and, and temperature is not the scary thing for me. Overheating is yes, but getting cool not a big thing right um i mean i've had multiple podcasts where people were like in the same scenario temps drop and anytime you hear temps drop you normally hear that the eggs made it um it's more of the overheating is what can fucking wipe out an egg yeah. out, assuming right um yeah. anything that spikes well over what the norm or what the average should be is what could be detrimental to an egg going the distance right you would say yeah 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 it deals you, that's when if it's prolonged spike or something you get deformities and weird stuff happening if it happens at the right stage of development mm -hmm. like you'll like this mj because you you have ball pythons i used to breed ball pythons back in the day and uh and uh i always just threw my ball python clutches in my big monitor incubator which was at 85. i and you know how you what well, you you guys incubate ball pythons at what 88 89 
80 I, I do 87 and a half 88 okay. that's yeah I, I'm, I'm 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 right 88 i would say 87. okay yeah so i always found it hilarious because i'd always listen to all these other ball guys uh, and incubating in the high 80s and then you know they had relative to what i would hatch out they had some small babies they had problem feeders um and uh, when I incubated them at 85, which was like significantly cooler than the rest of the people locally, mo mainly because I wasn't too concerned about ball pythons. I had a bunch of them, but um, and those babies, they all hatched out super fat. They all fed amazingly, like right out of the gate. You know, I never had any problems with them. And I, I just think that oftentimes people push the envelope on on temperature and they worry too much about like maintaining that perfect temperature with incubation what are you incubating your tree your average tree monitoring is that brandon yeah they're like between 84 and 85 in there yeah you're yeah. 85 you're 85 straight right brian yeah i want to i want to mess around with that too um just try some things i'm curious yeah now, now are you guys noticing at a period of time the temps go up because of egg development like are you noticing like a slight spike in the temps and in um and that's kind of like, like, you know, for instance, with chondros, as, as you know, Brian, um, there, there's a certain point where you have to create more airflow because like as that egg is developing, you start to see more moisture and shit develop. So it's important to kind of air it out. Is that the kind of same thing with the tree monitors? Are you, are you seeing? I air mine out when I notice that there's too much condensation, but I also do ventilation in, you know, in my egg box as well. But I don't think my temps for, for, with what I'm incubating, I don't, I'm not having crazy spikes with mine yeah same here if they are i'm really to be honest with you i'm not even noticing it or checking it babies are just they hatch and they seem they're all healthy i've not had like you know obviously this past one that was that jacked up situation with that little cordo um i've not had any sort of like deformities or anything in any animals um it happened so yeah on wood yeah like Early yeah. on, the first time female, I think the first blue tree I ever hatched, it, I did have an issue that like hatched out and it's like belly was super open, like it wasn't like a normal slit and that one didn't make it, but that was a first time female. But like after that was, that was the only time I've ever had an issue with that. Pause this real quick. Except for that two-headed one that I have now, it's three years old. You ever see a two-headed blue tree monitor? Wait, what? You had a, you, you hatched out a butt? You fucker. <laughs> Hey, listen, hold on. Let's let's pause this real quick. Only because I have to do what I got to do. The like ratio is just not respectable, guys. What the hell? We have shy of 70 people tapped in and only like 30 likes. Can we get the likes up? Because this is such a fucking fire-ass episode and we're just now getting warmed up. So please, let's get the likes up. And I'm curious as far as how much you guys really mess with the egg box. Like, are you somebody like, like even if you don't see any moisture dropping down or anything, are you guys still at a period of time throughout the week, like opening up the egg box and just giving it air and, 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 and like, and, and if so how often are you guys doing that? I just did it today. I had, when I was sending you those pictures of those eggs, MJ, I, uh, right. I, you know, a couple of them had a little bit of condensation on the lid. So I just took the lid right off and put it kitty corner on the, on the egg box. And, uh, I just let it air out a bit. I see I, it. I, I see you're talking about the right egg right here. And it's a little bit. You could see a little bit of dampness on the on the on the egg is what you're talking about. I'm not even talking about. Well, that that could just because when I pulled the lid off, a drop hit it or something. But oh, if you see the one that has May 18th on it, yeah, that was in an egg box, and I consider that egg to be too swollen. 
So if I see that egg like that, that's when I take the lid off the nest box and dry it out a little bit. Uh -huh. uh, the one, the one, if you're looking at it on the left, I consider that to be a, a decently shaped egg and that, that one I wouldn't be mucking with, but yeah, like I'll take the lid off and let it dry out a bit and, and I'll play with them. Um, you know, just, just because like, I, I know that if that May 18th one, if it goes the distance and it's super hydrated, there's a chance that it won't hatch. So I'll kind of, I'll let it, I'll let it deflate a little bit, if you will. Uh, um, you know, I've been playing with eggs ever since I started breeding monitors, so I'm not super concerned with it. Like I'd rather have to rehydrate an egg than, than at the end of incubation, try and rescue it by letting it dry out. So I always get in there and look around and, and uh, you know. What's your, what's your prediction on this egg though? The, the, the one that we're talking about. Oh, that'll be fine. Okay. It'll be fine because I because you caught it in time is what you're saying. Well, uh, yeah, exactly. Right. It's just it's just a little swollen. So I'll just I like I just left the lid off. I have to leave a reminder tag on my uh, on the door of my shops so that when I open it, I remind myself that oh yeah, I did remove the lid, so I don't leave them you know uh, open for days on end. But you know mm -hmm. I'll let it sit like that for a few hours so that it can dry out a bit, uh, and then I I have a you know I have a little reservoir for water in there so it'll dry out slowly it's not like it's a jerky machine or anything um you know uh and and just going back to temperature like we we just assume that they like 85 because that's kind of what's worked and and you know i, I was saying this to somebody on the weekend because we had a big reptile show up here they're like how do you know that it's 85 and i'm like i don't all i know is that <laughs> i've hatched them right i've hatched them at 85 I've raised up offspring that I've hatched and those offspring and the females of those offspring have gone on to reproduce successfully and the eggs that they've produced have been fertile and hatched perfectly. So to me, it's like, okay, that's what I want as a breeder. That's, that's a gauge of that's an okay temperature. Right. Um, so if, if you've, if you've done the longitudinal, I guess research or experiment with it at 85 and you've raised up those things and you realize there's no reproductive abnormalities and they're seemingly a perfectly healthy monitor then 85 it is it works right and, I mean, you, can't, you can't really argue with it i suppose and for people who are just kind of wrapping their head around what we're talking about right now you're saying in a period where you have a, a, a an egg or a i mean are we talking maybe any reptile egg in this sense if it gets too hydrated you're going to want to give it more airflow and, 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 and is, is that what you're saying or, or. Yeah. I mean, I just do it with like, I mean, any egg can, you can, you can keep any egg too wet and it won't hatch. Right. But right. monitors seem particularly sensitive to it. Um, in my experience, like I've bred a lot of stuff and, you know, certain things are really forgiving to excess moisture. Monitor eggs don't seem to be that way. Um, so they're the ones that I pay the most attention to. Mm -hmm. uh, Brian, what about you? All the geckos that you've done, do you notice like them being as sensitive to hydration as as I've had more? I've had more issues with gecko eggs than I have monitor eggs. Yeah, eh? <clears throat> yeah, and that's like mostly been, you know, uh, adding. You know, there's times where I'll have a container, and I've got my eggs in there. And those are going the distance and I keep adding eggs, stuff is hatching and I'm just using the same container. So that substrate over time is drying out. Yeah, and yeah. I've made the mistake of adding a little bit too much water to try and rehydrate it. 
and all of a sudden eggs get swollen. And I mean, I've lost. I, I, there was a year where I lost a, a nice chunk of eggs that was pretty devastating to me. And that was with yeah. those. Um, Tremont, you know, with, with any of the monitors, I'm doing a fresh container for everything. So I don't yeah. really have an issue with that. I'm always starting fresh each time. Um, it's not like I'm re reusing anything. Um, but yeah, I would say like, draw, you know, airing on the drier side is probably safer. Just my experience with geckos. Um, cause again, you know, I think, I believe I was, I, I might be incubating my stuff, um, with a, a little bit higher water ratio than Brandon is, but, um, you know, we both are having really good success, but I've not, I've not yet had a monitor egg dry out on me. Um, so, you know, in, in rehydrating an egg is, is easier than trying to, you know, dehydrate. dehydrate an egg. All right, boys, we're talking about eggs. What do we call it here? Here's my, my one soldier. What do we, what do we, what does this look like to you, Brandon? Does it look like it's overhydrated at all? Or, or, oh, man, I, I think that one looks pretty good, buddy. Yeah. Brian. Yeah, that looks good to me, man. <laughs> that's things that's gonna hatch it's gonna be a healthy baby yeah, that's gonna be a that's gonna be an mj green line buddy right there <laughs> i like that <laughs> that makes me want to get high i'm not even joking uh, <laughs> how far along is that what day are you on 145 oh boy i know he's oh, getting close it's gonna be a, in one week we're gonna have a happy camper <laughs> i cannot believe it now you know I, i'm curious because i do see a lot of different methods people like to ch ch go with when it comes to the monitor emerging out of the egg um you know some keep them together for a little bit but what is it what's like let's say i get there right and, and, and it all works out what's the best way that you guys discovered to go like step by step by step as far as for the tree monitor when they come out of the egg like where do you put them at as soon as they come out like if we could kind of just break those steps down and whoever wants to go first yeah, uh, yeah. I think Brian and I probably do the same thing. I mean, for me, I, they they hatch and they don't all hatch instantaneously. So I'll I'll open the egg box and any hatchling that is there, while the other ones are still poking their heads out, I'll pull them out and I'll put them in a little a little container inside the incubator with not a wet paper towel, just a little bit moist, so it can kind of whatever heal up and then uh you know i do that with the rest of them as they emerge and keep them in the incubator kind of 24 hours after they hatch and then i i move them right into a three foot long by 18 inch tall by two foot deep enclosure mm -hmm. and i put them all individually every not single one not together correct correct all individual and that doesn't matter the species that's how you do them that's how you do them all correct that's how I do them all given the opportunity. If I have the cage space, that's how I do it. Right. Certain things in my opinion are more sensitive to, you know, their, their siblings in an enclosure, like in the same enclosure, like blue trees and black trees. They do not, you know, you'll have a few that, you know, if you had a clutch of five, you're going to get one or two that don't do well in that situation. Just well, because they're stressed, you know. Like blues, blues are shyer than the other species. Yeah, they're way yeah. shyer, so like I think it's easier for there to be a dominant one, and then yeah, one or a couple are just like, man, I don't want to go out there. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. What? What if you have a certified, trained United States captain born and bred from Cody, and and there's like a stamp of approval that this thing is trained to get along with its siblings when it had. To, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, he's he's got whatever he's doing with his baby greens. There's some magic there, so I can't argue with him <laughs> on the green. But, but you are you are curious what that's like with the other species if he ever gets to that point, right? Like it, like if he tries to do that, because I was told that black tree monitors are more notorious for fucking each other up or or something like that at a young age. Uh, somebody commented something on a video saying, "Oh, don't put them together, MJ. Like not the black ones. It's gonna be bad." And I just didn't know if that was just far-fetched or what, what what they meant by that well are you talking about messing each other up or are you talking about more likely to be tame and trusting i'm saying more likely to mess each other up okay yeah i, th I think blacks and blues are on the same level in terms of raising the the hatchlings up together right mm -hmm. like i i wouldn't put black tree babies together but your uh, your black trees mj they're already a really decent size like they're kind of past that sensitive the problem with the hatchlings when you put them together is that they're so small they can crash really quick right and you you know it might be a few days and you don't notice whereas if you had those two together mj those are pretty big juveniles already if one's stressed out you have a long window in which you can notice it and make the adjustments right um with the babies they just don't have the body mass they don't they they have a hard time recovering if uh if if you if you're not observant and you don't notice it right away so mm. that's you know to eliminate that i would say keep them apart right right but having said that for me you know if it's not something that i if it's something that i'm selling you know then then i mean they're all individual regardless if i'm selling them or keeping them but even the ones that i raise up for myself i'll keep them separate until they're an adult right right until they're that magic weight and then i'll then when i'm you know when they're adult i know 100 percent what the gender is um and when i put them together i never have an issue right i never have fighting there's never any issues and they just they just work man they click and they breed but uh, but I, I think there's a lot of unknown issues with raising them together like that, right? Um, who knows? I'm not, gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie, my little fuckers went at it just the other day, and I was like, "Yo, what the fuck?" And 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 all because obviously there was one grabbed a grasshopper, and even though one had one in front of it, it still grabbed the other one. And the other one let go and just grabbed the other one's head, and I was like, yep. "Whoa, relax!" And like, you know, they kind of went at it for a little bit, but then they let go and like, you know, but it was more of a like they just wanted to eat you know what i mean they're yeah yeah fucking those issues don't what it is i mean and you can have an issue with that with adults yeah we had a i yeah. came home once i was going through early in the morning feeding and i was just kind of giving each animal a quail and uh in one of the pairs of my blues i you know fed them didn't think anything of it i came back later in the day and was just kind of going through and the female's throat was completely slit open Ooh. i can see inside of her throat um, and she was gravid. She was like a couple, two to three weeks away from laying eggs. Oh. And uh, Brad Waffa, um, who's down in Raleigh, who's um, used to be Waffa House Reptiles, really good dude, talented breeder. He used to be big into chondros, by the way, MJ. But he's an amazing vet, and he stitched her up and um, emergency surgery. And, um, you know, we ended up getting a, a good clutch out of her butt. Um, it will happen with any of them. I mean, not just yeah. your babies. You got to watch your pairs, especially during feeding time, because oh, yeah. they grab food from each other all the time. And I think, you know, about that whole aggression thing, too, with the babies, it's like if you have a small collection, like kind of what, what Cody said on the last podcast, he's like, 
I just have these. It's small, and I kind of keep an eye on them, so I have the time to work with them. If you've got one cage and you have that clutch, he's able to sit there and monitor that. Right. If you've got multiple clutches going and you've got a large collection. It's different. Separating them out just eliminates any guesswork on whether or not, like, if you're going to miss something of one getting bullied or one not getting enough food um, or one grabbing the other's head and, you know, you're not there to see it. You chuck in a bunch of crickets, you go to the next cage, boom, boom, boom. You know, you're not able to spend as much time with the individual animal. Yeah, yeah I, I, I could totally see there maybe being an issue with one of the tree monitors if i were just to toss grasshoppers and call it a day so and because i could take i could see one one's a little bit more robust 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 than the other like yeah like i'm talking like on it the other one's a little bit more shy but i'm also able to hand feed both of them so basically i'm basically doing what cody does and spending that extra time like literally getting them comfortable eating out of my hands and they're i'm going one after another one after another um and you can separate if need be you know yeah. right Right. And those those issues that you like that where you know one grabs a hold of the other one while you're while they're feeding right that's that's just like that's accidental on their part like in, when yeah. I'm talking about you know the issue between cage mates it's the subtle stuff that you rub you don't notice it's the it's the subtle dominance it's the posturing within the enclosure positioning on the prime branches it's that that is the stuff that leads to the the decline of the animal right if it's really small that decline happens quickly so and and a lot of people might not pick up on those signs like i don't know what they are looking at the behavior of them in the enclosure yeah. but i know what a stressed baby looks like so i can deal with that if they were together right but, yeah. but uh, it's not even like oh that one grabbed its face while they're eating it's what goes on in the 12 hours of light in the enclosure when they're not feeding right it's like who has the best basking spot who has the best mm -hmm. hiding spot right hey, so, this is why i've always told give them multiple uh basking yeah. options that way they don't have to fight over anything yeah it could just be visual though one hides all the time because it's cage True. mate is is bigger or more dominant it's scared it's like it's prison buddy you know yeah. you get put in the cell with bubba you're not going to do too well right yeah i guess you're right every pair is different you know right. like, yes. every animal's different every you can, animal. within the clutch you got two there and one of them is just shyer by nature whereas the other you can go in there and pick it up you know but yeah. but I, I mean and like i said i i'm also like very green at this i've only had my hands on with really one pair of prasinas and and i but i also got these in where they were super skittish they wanted nothing to do with me they're fucking mean like that the female would actually like jump on me and bite me she was very psychotic but we've come come this far to where you know they don't they don't scatter when i walk by the enclosure like they're very just like very confident and and i'm wondering with time is that majority of the case with any tree monitor you work with if you just don't rush things and you just you know obviously keep the overhead low you know like like we're saying if you have all these things cracking off it's gonna be a lot harder for you to be spending so much time and dedicating yourself to like getting something that dialed in but also we're in a stage where you shouldn't be kind of that fucking mr mass producer you know we're not at that time of our lives where that's the right thing you know like obviously you guys are doing what you're doing but i'm just saying like you should be coming into this trying to figure out how to keep it the best way versus just like oh let me just fucking breathe this shit you know what i mean um so i i just think there's like brian said there's still so much to learn and so much to get information wise on these and 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 i think uh there's a lot more to come i think you know 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, you know, but, but like to your point, the the wild caught ones, they'll they'll settle down. I mean, um, you know, they they've had the trauma of being captured or shipped or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not very trusting to begin with. They're in a whole new surrounding. Like, you know, all of my original all of my original animals were wild caught animals. Um, you know, and they're you know, I don't particularly socialize with them like Cody would and and do I kind of just let them be and let them do their thing in the enclosure. And they just naturally over the years progress to trust me and come out on me. And I'm not in there, you know, doing what a lot of guys are doing in terms of like the the socialization stuff. I'm not particularly concerned about making sure that, you know, they climb onto my arm and that's fine if you do it's just uh, i have enough stuff and enough things going on that you know i throw bugs in and they see you know what i mean and whatever but uh but they seem to come around like i mean my bakari the black trees they were all wild caught and uh i mean they're the most social animals that i have now even more so than my captive bred holdback blues you know they're crazy uh social so um, it's just, it's individual, but they will all, they can all come around, right? As long as they're happy and stress-free and, right, you know, I think that's key too, right? If they're always miserable, then they're going to act miserable, I'm sure. I think yeah. it takes time too, you know, one of the things that maybe half of my customers will ask for, and they, that's very important to them, is to get a socialized animal. And, um, you know, I, I think that with all of these animals, even if it's a super shy baby right out of the egg or certain ones like that, you know, you open up the nest box or the, the egg box and they're just sitting there looking at you and are chill. Um, I think no matter what, as they mature, even if it is a shy baby at the beginning, once they reach adulthood, they kind of have gotten enough size. They've got enough experience and time with you where they're, you know, yeah, they, they still may not like you going in and, you know, touching them, but they'll come out and grab food from you. What I've found regardless of the species. Um, so they all end up coming around, you know, and can be a, a, a semi-social animal. I mean, at the end of the day, you don't want a tree monitor that you're going to like an adult that's grabbing onto you and why, I mean, it's painful. Their claws are digging into you. Okay. And breathing. Uh, <laughs> but it's cool to have an animal that comes out and jumps on you momentarily to get food and goes back in. You know, they're not bearded dragons at the end of the day. They're not pleasant to handle, period. Yeah, dude. I I just, uh, I could totally understand the less is more. And, uh, yeah, I mean, my... (laughs) As much as I'm like, yeah, my 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 prestinuses have come a long ways. Well, yeah, that's until you fucking try holding them, or 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 like, you know, when I go in there and get the mail, oh my, it's a whole like. And he, what's good is like he doesn't like turn around and bite me, but goddamn, like when they want to like run, it's like it's a whole chaotic show, and it's like, fuck, yeah. dude, like, oh great, here we go, and they're, and then they just fucking, wah, they just jump at you, and you're like, dude, oh my god, like yeah, how many times I, I mean, Brian, I've seen it since catch him off his head but how many times i predicted they're going to come jump out and they do and i i literally catch them and i'm like oh my god <laughs> and it's like it, it's a whole that's my whole day right there you know what i mean it's like fuck that was intense you know yeah. um i think yeah you can't force the issue either with no, them right some people are you know you you uh you know the, the, the training or socialization re- regimen that they're trying to accomplish and you know, they're like un- unsuccessful with them. I mean, you can't force them to do what they don't want to do, right? They have to build that trust in time. 
yeah. you know, like I'm, I think I'm, that male wild caught that I got back in December that is just showing interest in that female that was cycling the blue trees there. You know, I barely see that guy. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's just now starting to peek his head out. If I, if he knows it's feeding time and you know what I mean? It's just, he'll, he'll do it on his own time, give it another year and he'll be, you know, happier than a pig and poop to come out. I'm sure. But it's just like, I just let them do what they want to do. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then they trust you too in time. They realize, oh, you're not a threat. He's not going to rip the bark off the wall to grab me and all that stuff, right? So, yeah, I mean, okay, I mean, since we're kind of leaning on this topic right now towards, like, I don't know, socializing, getting to breed, establishing, what would you say like the most difficult species, captive bred species is right now that you guys work with or could say that there is that you've worked with? um me personally yeah the bakari are the the hardest of the ones that i have i mean i haven't had cordensis super long so i don't know but they seem they seem very social relative to even the blues and uh like relative to the blues and some of the other stuff right seemingly there was no effort to really i mean they you know they did what they're supposed to do the black trees are seem to be a bit of a different beast <laughs> a little bit when you say a little bit difficult, the, the difficulties higher on the Picaris, it's because socialization with each other, like the like compatibility and getting them to actually um, lock up, or is that not? Or are you talking about like the full process ovulation is a little bit more difficult? Yeah, I don't know. Something with well, I mean, something with the Bakari. I've tried to get out of a few guys in Indonesia. What you know, some of the finer points of where they're catching Bakari and stuff and what their habitat is actually like and trying to get some facts and they haven't been super helpful right um but you know just some of the the behavioral things that i see with the black trees like uh well one they're over this isn't a behavioral thing but they're overall a black lizard right so whenever you see a really dark snake or lizard you probably think it comes from maybe a colder climate maybe right. higher altitude or something and then you know Bakari, when, you know, you have your shop set up for kind of a, a uniform temperature for everything you think would work, you know, on all your tree monitors. And, uh, you know, when the lights come on in the morning, those black tree monitors, they're out basking within a minute. You no, know? Yeah, I, I noticed that. Look, like, dude, like, mine come out right when the lights are on. I come inside. Oh, there they are. They're basking. Yeah. And, and to me that that's like, it's almost like an evolutionary thing that they've developed to be, to, to kind of grab every ounce of heat energy they can when it's available, you know? So I wonder if Bakari maybe wanted a bit cooler or something, uh, mm. you know, so I'm going to mess around with it. Everything else is, you know, pretty standard. I mean, across the board, it seems like they're all, all the other colors are, you know, I have no difficulty, but, uh, black trees they seem to be hit or miss on their cycles i have they're probably the least produced ones for me now uh because of that so i would say that there may be something going on with them in the wild i'd have to visit aru to see but i don't know brian what do you think yeah um so i mean i've had so far what i have that is a breedable size that's been in the collection um to a point where I feel comfortable in ideal conditions um, has been the blues and the yellows and just recently um, the cordensis. Um, I do have a couple pairs of, of the Bomei that are, that are together now. 
but they haven't really, they've kind of been in a quarantine setup for a while. Um, they were introduced at different times. So I can't, I can't really say yet, you know, I don't have the experience to speak on uh, a handful of species. I mean, I've not, you know, all my greens are small, they're babies, essentially. My blacks um, are all very young with the exception of a couple of larger males that I have. Um, so what I have had together that has been in a setup that um, is to my liking and in, in a position where I feel comfortable, like, hey, okay, everything's set up how it should be. It's dialed in. It should be breeding. How I'm doing these things has been the blues and the yellows and, and the cordos. Um, between them, as of now, I haven't really noticed a, a big difference between them. I'd say I've had more success with the blues than the yellows. I do have a couple pairs of yellows that are together um, that I have not had good clutches from. Um, but so far the blues, you know, I've had the most sex success with the blues, um, and observe the most sex of blues. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so we'll see. Um, I think, you know, I'm just now in a position where, um, you know, I've got my room for the, for the tree monitors where, and I've got a couple other things going that, you know, I'll be able to answer this with maybe some more insight, uh, in a year from now. But Brandon, you know, Brandon, I think has definitely, without a doubt, you know, can speak on that better as far as like more species. Yeah, we need more Brandons, man. Like we need more people who are like, because like we're only hearing it from just Brandon as far as on the board, what's working for him. Right. But I always feel like it could just be different no matter like, like it could just be different for that individual. Like, you know, how, how many times has one one way of doing something especially in the reptile game works for somebody and it doesn't work for the other person that like and and there's something that somebody could figure out on certain species of something that the other person can't like i i just feel like this is just such an untapped uh game that we're talking about where you know luckily we have brandon who's been fucking vested in this shit for so many years um and 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 hopefully it'll lead like do you ever plan on keeping uh black tree monitors at some point um brian well, i've got them all now Oh, you got it. Okay. I, I'm, I'm sure if Brian, like, if Brian follows his recipe with what he's doing with the blues and yellows and cordos, the other ones will fall in line, no problem. He just doesn't have animals that are of age to breed in, in right. greens yeah, and blacks yeah. yet, right? Yeah. That's why he hasn't produced yeah. any. Yeah. He just, yeah. yeah. yeah the but greens sure. and blacks are all ba like, they're all really young. Yeah, they're all babies. Right? I don't have females that are, you know, that are anywhere close to being bred. So. Uh, I just yeah I feel I feel confident I mean as far as with these other species but again I think it's easy for people to look at a group of animals and think that like oh yeah tree monitors well you keep them all the same you breed them all the same and and that's you know currently I will admit that's what I'm doing with mine right now I haven't done any sort of variables with one species versus another but you see that a lot you know like people with like a bronia you know they think every species is the same whereas you have one species that's getting exposed to nighttime temps at a certain part of the year in the 40s where others it doesn't get below 60 and we just you know we kind of presume that but the good thing with you know what we're seeing with the tree monitors is that they are this insular species you've got this these little satellite islands around png and from what we know i mean these we do know that these are all lowland species um, so we're, we're not having like something that's found way up on top of a, a mountain somewhere where it gets to be super, super cold, um, that we know of. So, I mean, I know, I think there's maybe some, 
maybe we might see that with some greens. I don't know. Like, I'd love to know the elevational cutoff yeah. um, to find greens in PNG because on the mainland of Papua New Guinea, you do have some serious mountains that get way up there. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know what that cutoff is. I think the, like, I think the cookie cutter design for for tree monitors that most people are following with temps and enclosures, I, it kind of works well for in my, what I'm doing. It, I'm rocking with the greens, yellows, blues. Uh, I just got cordenses that are of size and whatever uh, acclimation to breed, and they bred nicely. So, you know, it what I what I'm what I'm doing kind of cookie cutter wise for the tree monitors as a group of lizards works for all of those really well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, cordenses longevity will tell, but I. I seemingly they've done they've that pair has gone through their paces just like everything else and the black trees i mean i've bred a lot of i've produced a lot of black trees it's just there's maybe just some subtle environmental quirks that that i could change with them to get them to go a bit better right and, and, you're, and you're guessing is if we're talking temps cooler than warmer is what you're saying Maybe. I would imagine that the black trees might just because of their coloration and their behavior. Like I said, as soon as there's heat available, they jump out and, and absorb it, right? Like they're basking. So whereas the other colors. Greens take their time. Green, greens slowly come out and they're right. like, what's going on today? You know what I mean? Yeah, the blues, the yellows, greens, the cordenses, they're in no rush to get out basking. They kind of meander out and, you know, yeah. the lights come on half an hour after that. They kind of find their way to the basking spot it seems whereas the blacks it's like instantaneous so like that is what one of the things i've noticed that would make me think that they probably like it cooler but i'm not going to cool my whole shop to accommodate the blacks so i'm going to have to move the blacks maybe to the basement or maybe a pair of them and see how it goes um if the see if the ambient temperature affects them you know better if i can get a a pair rocking when it gets really cool at night and throughout the day well maybe that could be the the key for them but i don't I mean, know it I, could be the individuals i have you know what i mean right that's they, what i was just thinking is like you know if those were all imports too i mean yeah. you know the one female yellow that i have that just cranks shoes captive bread the other two yeah. they were long-term captives and they're they're off but i'm very curious to see what you do with your f1s that you produced to see how those females react, um, you know, when you pair them up and to see if they're any different from what uh, what you're currently working with. Yeah, like, it, I, again, it's, we have no, nobody has a big enough sample size or has been doing it long enough to know concretely exactly what needs to be done, right? right. Like, you know, you have, you have your pairs of yellows and some go and some don't. Your imported ones don't go or they they're more sporadic or whatever right so that's like an individual thing you know mm -hmm. um they're all individuals so some produce better than others like my black trees when i got them acclimated and and i started pairing them up i had a female that just did like everything else she laid you know a clutch of eggs every three months in the setup that everything else was in and she continually did that right so she's like my best producing black but the other pairs don't want to you know, one female lays some dud eggs, lays some good eggs. She's sporadic. Another female doesn't really do anything. So, um, you know, that could just be the individual. I could be totally wrong on what I'm observing, but those could just be individuals. Like Brian sees that with an import yellow that he has, you know. So, yeah. um, I might be about compatibility. 
Like, have you have you noticed, Brandon, with any of yours that have been tricky breeders? Have you swapped around animals and noticed that there's been a big change as far as like, hey, this pair when you put them together, nothing, but this, you know, when you swap out, this male is like magic. You know, you I, see I, that with a lot of gecko species. I have not. I mean, I, I when I have a pair that's going, I don't really mess with them. Um, right. Have you done much of that? I I. I don't necessarily think compatibility is really a thing with what I see. Like I've swapped like the female black tree that will lay some good eggs, lay some dud eggs. You know, I've put multiple males with her and no change. Uh, the female that, that doesn't really do a whole lot. I put many male, like, you know, I have four different males and I've circulated them all through her at one point in time. She's done nothing. Right. Um, so I, I don't, I don't really think compatibility. I think they're opportunistic breeders. <laughs> Let's put it that way, right? Yeah. If you throw a male in and you know he's a mature male and there's a female cycling, they're they're gonna go, right? The female will oh, be receptive to him, yeah. Yeah, but there is something to be said, like there are good male breeders. I think that is the thing. In every in everything, bro, even with chondros, you know they're they're ones who are just born to breed, bro. You there know, are males that I have that like just get it done all the time and like They'll breed themselves if they could. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, maybe it's the males that I have. Most of the males are really willing to breed, you know, so I don't, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I mean, it could be something with their fertility maybe, but like right. I said, I've rotated many males around and I haven't noticed any difference. I think it's in my collection, all female based preferences or cycling or whatever. Right. So uh, I'm trying to think of an example of where, a male swap made a difference and I, mm. I can't really like I in the tree monitors I can't really think of that so for me anyways but it's good to know we're talking about cycling um and I wanted to make sure we got this topic in tonight because I'm trying to figure out where where I'm at currently because I have I sent you pics of the persinas that I, I feel like is on its way to give me its third clutch of the year um like you know remember I showed I showed you pictures of her hanging and stuff Brandon I think yep. I think you too, um, Brian. But anyways, and one thing that's weird is like you know normally like I was told that the timing of a female like like if everything's going right, um, the female should technically lay her clutch about ninety days after the 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 the, the, the previous clutch, or is that not really accurate as far as a time frame when a female could lay the? Because I'm you know this is clutch number three, and so far we're well past three months and and last time it was around three months so i'm just wondering like 15 days before and then 15 days after i mean it's not always at that 90 but then i've also had some that you know didn't end up doing anything they hold on to them for a while you know you think like i've never had an animal quote unquote like reabsorb but then all of a sudden you notice these I was talking to Brandon about this, and there is you'll essentially see eggs completely deflated. Like if you were to take the egg, squirt everything out of it, and just tighten it up into like a little hot dog and put it on the ground, where I've seen that, like kind of just as they're you know passing of the eggs. But usually it's within that window. What what about you, Brandon, for your window of laying? Yeah, I mean the the. The three month mark between clutches, like there's obviously some variability there, you know, like, like you said, it can, it can happen a few days before it can happen many days after that's just the three month mark is kind of like the, the, 
when yeah. I start to look for signs, you know, like okay. two months after she lays a clutch is when I'm like really observing, okay, is she hanging from the wall? Is she cycling? You know, it's not like, you know, it's not a hundred percent like clockwork, but it's pretty damn close on things that are things that are cycling regularly and, and doing what you think they should do. That's kind of the benchmark is the three month between clutches. Right. So if you're like, if it's a little bit, you know, over a couple of weeks, over exactly three months, like no big deal. Right. Yeah. Some females might not do that. Right. Smaller females, maybe not, maybe every four months, five months, you know, good. I was just going to say, I don't know if three months is the norm for anybody breeding them. Like I, I hear a lot of European guys talking about getting a couple clutches a year. So, right. you know, who knows? I, I don't know. Like, I mean, too, where they like completely, you know, you, they just skip a cycle. Sure. Yeah. How many how many females for you guys are going like two three times a year? Uh right now. I mean, yeah. Every <laughs> everything that I have, I, I guess, like as of six months ago, everything that's every female that's over three years is is on that pace for for. Uh, four clutches in a year right like every three months okay so i the blacks except for the blacks okay. they're a little bit weirder but yeah okay. all right okay so so for the most part you're not seeing any female go further than they should like they if they're there it's usually like clockwork if they yeah yeah like i'm not i'm not seeing you know five months between clutches let's put it that way i'm seeing around that three month mark okay yeah, so they're they're right in there. It seems like yours are too, MJ. No, I'm at five months right now. So I'm like, wow. Oh, from the last clutch? Yeah. Sure. So uh, for my oh. very her very first clutch was January fourth, and then okay. she laid then she laid April twenty seventh, which was like just shy of a little over three months, right? Yeah. Or, I mean, just a little over three months. And then here we are now. Um, that clutch was April twenty seventh, and now we're in September. Um, so now we're going on month. How many months is that? That's five months, right? Am I tripping? No, four months. Four months. My bad four months but yeah. now yeah go ahead i was just that's not like no, april right what? yeah april she laid last april 27th so may june july august that's four months mid-september four and a half months right so that's not i mean again how how recent is that female like how long have you had her in captivity how big is she there's a whole bunch of factors in there, so right? Did you, see, did you see them locking as well? Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't see. So I didn't see Mux. So I waited two months to reintroduce, and when I did, I didn't. I didn't see much of anything. Um, and then, basically, I want to say about a month ago or three weeks ago is when I saw him going at her. Um, and and then I saw her getting bigger. You know, I, I saw her. I that's when I kind of saw her getting more rounded. Um, and and then I sent a picture to brandon about a week ago of her hanging you know and, and and it looked like almost like it's kind of lower or maybe mid it was hard to kind of tell in that photo mm -hmm. uh, but i pulled the mail because i i physically saw them lock a couple days back to back um and then i noticed him i feel like this pair is so awesome because he's not shy around her at all but i noticed from what i experienced when she's getting there to ovulate he wants nothing to do with her like he's he purposely avoids her and i could see it so when i see that behavior i'm like wow he's kind of avoiding her and i know this especially when feeding when feeding he'll like like i don't want to eat if like right now and it's weird because he's always down to eat so 
I noticed, okay, this is probably the time to pull him because he just is uncomfortable being around her at this point. And that's maybe because he knows shit's about to go down. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they're that smart too. And I mean, from what I know, like that's why I shout to John Andrania from uh simp container, but you know, he always told me, MJ, if you're going to have a male go to two females, make sure you put the male in between two females. So you could just create doors for him to like choose who he wants to go with because they'll literally scratch on the door and be like, Hey, I want to, they put me in this one you know and then when they want to leave they'll scratch on the door too they'll go to the door and be like yo get me the fuck out of here so it's like you know you just those are kind of just behavioral things that you feel like you see in a perfect pair and a pair that just you know they they know what they're there for and they know what they do when they need to get the fuck out you know what i mean so so i have nothing to worry about then four and a half i mean the time oh, period, it could just be what it is and there's nothing nothing you can do about it then right yeah right. nothing you can do right they'll get they'll you know what i mean in time they'll they'll uh be more consistent and predictable right um so you know you'll get it dialed in to where where everything's optimal for them to get closer between clutches if that's what you want you know maybe you don't want that so but yeah i think you know that's that's not that's not abnormal i don't think in terms of breeding tree month four and a half months it's not that far off of three really in an annual cycle <laughs> right like right. in an annual period of time so um yeah what what i gotta ask you how do you guys work holdbacks nowadays like you know are holdbacks still very important to you guys like every clutch are you looking for something with the most unique markings or something and, and that's what you're looking in a holdback or or do you guys not really hold things back right now i'm just curious on how you guys delegate that well I think holdbacks are super important. <laughs> and tell me, and tell me why that would be, Brandon. Go, go ahead. Because well, you never know what could happen to your breeding stock, right? You never know. Um, I, I mean, my first clutch of blue trees I ever hatched, I kept every single one back, and then you know I kept a few individuals from following clutches. Um, and uh, you know, it doesn't it doesn't hurt to have them on standby. <laughs> just in case if there is something unique about a baby definitely i'm going to hold it back right but the tree monitors don't i mean there are some that are really nice blue compared to others and stuff like that so you want to obviously up your lineage with with color to the best that you want right selective breeding them but but uh yeah like i you know i have like i have four four breeding pairs right now of of blue trees right some of them i couple of them I just really paired together so they just started but uh and then I have an extra I don't know I probably have an extra four females five females I probably have nine females total blue trees kicking around wow and then some of them I'm not even gonna breed I'm just gonna I just have them there and and the the problem with holdbacks is they get to a certain size and you're like you're too awesome to sell like you're not you can't sell you, you you're not I mean? going anywhere <laughs> yeah you're you're mine right so yeah. I think it's super important um you know and and uh you know you might have a female that stops laying or whatever you just never know so um but you know brian and i have produced enough blues now where it's not you know we don't need to sell every single one probably to pay for the collection or whatever right so we're we're lucky and fortunate that way but like i always i always have a steady stream of holdbacks from everything that i that i, that I breed pilbaras kimberly's ackies you know <laughs> um so the last thing you want to is to be in a situation where you lose 
a vital animal in your collection and then you're scrambling to go and find one elsewhere mm -hmm. especially if you're producing captive bred offspring like at the end of the day you know brandon was talking about things about like he had these founding animals that were all wild caught like you don't hear about the stories about a lot of people who get wild caught animals and they don't make it and they die and they come in and they're not in a good position to to thrive um so the last thing you want to be is in a spot where oh my gosh i just lost this female i need to replace her and instead of having you know a captive bred baby that you produced on standby now you're having to go out get an animal that might not be in the best of health you know, you you might have to treat the animal. The animal's spazzing out. You don't know its reproductive history. You don't know when it came in, how much it may have bred in the wild. If it's at the end of its stage of life, there's a lot of things that you don't know. So, you know, holding back animals is crucial, especially too. You know, we're facing this scare right now with you know these blues being listed. Um, you never know what could happen. Indo could shut down imports. A certain species might, you know. You know, at the rate at which things have been getting taken out of the wild, you never know if what the future holds. So if you are producing offspring, yeah, you have to be holding back stuff. And, and like Brandon said, even if you're not breeding it, you keep it on standby. Okay, it's a two-year-old female, three-year-old female that's ready to breed. You don't necessarily need to breed it if you have the production of what you are happy with. Um, she's just there on standby. You know, and something happens, you're good to go. You have a backup. Yeah. yeah. Like how many horror stories have you heard, Brian, of and, and MJ, of guys, they get this amazing animal mm -hmm. or these animals, for, they're wild collected. They get a clutch of eggs and, you know, they they sell all the babies. I don't know if it's because of the dollar signs they see ever. They're not looking at the long game. And they sell all their offspring and that pair never does anything for them again. And yeah. they just cut their legs out from underneath them on that whole project right lots of people do that and uh you know it's it's uh so i always look long term right long term over the short term gain in terms of selling babies and stuff i think that's if you want to try and breed things successfully for the long game that you have to you just have to right like i had a i'll i'll say this I had uh, all of my black trees were all initially wild caught. Everything was wild caught, but my black trees were all wild caught as well. And my best breeding female black tree, she would give me religiously um, a clutch of eggs every three months. She was great. And uh, yeah, but I don't know how old she was. I don't know anything about her. I got her as an adult and I just know she looked a little bit older, but she was producing. And then, you know, she, uh, her last clutch of eggs she laid um, were all infertile. And that was weird because she had never given me infertile clutches. And then at the onset of the next cycle that she had, she just slowly went downhill and she passed away. And, uh, you know, that just recently happened this summer. That was devastating for me, right? But again, I like, I don't know if it's anything that I did. It just could be that she was old, you know? And, uh, but luckily I have offspring from her. I have her genes and she was a great female and I have her offspring and I know I didn't sell them. So I'm glad I didn't, right? Yeah, all stuff you got to prepare for. Yeah. Um I, I got to say the biggest thing that stands out to me and and I remember hearing this a while back is like 
something could go for you and then it could just never happen again like um yeah i've heard and i've heard recently like russ somebody came to my dms recently was like mj i got this clutch i got this female to lay for me and they were infertile but i haven't gotten anything ever since and it's been like two years and i'm, I'm about to give up and blah blah and i'm like whoa you know and obviously there's a lot of things you can do and but like you know this is guy that this guy's only talking about one pair here you know what i mean so i was yeah. like you know there's something could just happen like you know either a male could just kind of get to a position where he's lazy and just doesn't want nothing to do with it or or maybe his dick doesn't work or some shit. who fucking knows like there's could be a lot of things like for reals there could be so many things at play here that we're just like what just happened you know what i mean so you gotta, yeah you never know right but is there any at least, at least if you hold them back you have a bigger sample size within your collection to experiment with too you know if you get good babies have you have you taken babies back to the parents before? Have they, have any issues with that? Like you know, for instance, you have a holdback male, take it to the mom, and there's been any issues with like that kind of uh, breeding? Oh, like inbreeding, you mean? Yeah, 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 right. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I mean, I've initially when like I'm I'm in Canada, so right. I don't get a lot of access to wild collected animals here. Um, so I think like my second pairing that I ever did, they, there was, uh, they were, they were siblings, but I was then, you know, I, I think I did a clutch, a, a clutch or two of siblings together, but then I was able to source a wild caught male that somebody had imported here from someone in Florida. So I was able to get that wild caught male and then breed it to those females. So, but out of that, no, I didn't see any issues at all. I mean, I think, I don't think, <laughs> I mean, Ideal, ideally, you don't want to Im, inbreed. That's why I went and got, when they became available in December, I got a few new bloodlines because I wanted four distinct bloodlines of blue trees. I want basically four distinct bloodlines of all the colors so that I can breed from now until the day that I die without having to inbreed. But, um, you know, sometimes you don't have that option, right? Like, uh, but yeah, I, 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 was, I was just thinking in a case where you're like, wow, like, fuck, I lost my breeder male and luckily I do have a hold back. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it, if you have to, but I wouldn't say that, you know, it's not ideal, but it's not detrimental really either. I mean, it's had to happen once, like these fucking hillbillies that we have here in America. So I'm just saying, like, you never know. Like, it, that's well, another that's another point too for people to keep in mind who end up, you know, there's a lot of folks who like obviously space is an issue with tree monitors, right? Sure, you yeah. think smaller reptiles, you can they're a lot easier to house, but um, you know, if you end up getting a pair of animals and you've got two males to one female and they're like, Oh, well now I got to sell this male. You might want to pump the brakes on that because yeah. you never know what could happen. You may want that male. Um, if something happens, the other, maybe he is a lazy breeder. Um, yeah. It's just like people always kind of want to just, Oh, I need to have 2.2 or this, that like, if, if you have the space, it's not a bad idea to keep them on, on reserve. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah. Man, fucking two hours went by quick. Um, I have a wrap-up question for you here, Brandon, and, and maybe if you want to get one ready to go, Brian, um, let me know. If not, no, no, no big deal. It's all good. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm curious as far as, you know, we were talking a little bit about what we could potentially see here with uh, certain CITES and, and, and whatnot and with the blue tree monitors. And for anyone out there who's, like, really concerned about that um, and, and is curious, like, what are people, like, like these guys who are working with these going to do if that's the case I, i'm just curious what's floating around in your guys's head when it comes to the thought of something like this um and whoever wants to talk first well i mean i'll, I'll let brian talk about what's going on in the united states because i know a little bit about it with the esa stuff but like um 
you know, the, the way that I think they're, they're handling that with the cross border, you know, transportation of these things. I, I don't think that's the right way to go about doing it. Uh, Europe, Europe, the European union, I think did a great job with what they did. And uh, they basically halted the import of wild collected tree monitors into the European Union on, on they did that not that Indonesia did that but they did that and they said they have to be F2 captive bred which technically out of Indonesia they were always supposed to be F2 captive bred to leave but we all though know that's not the case right they go out and collect them claim their captive bred or you know farm bred and then they sell them so everybody knows that's the case so the European Union realized this and they said well, we're not going to trust Indonesia anymore. We're not going to let any monitors in unless they're F2 captive bred. And how they did that was that they regulated the size of the lizard that they actually let in. So they only let in animals that are 15 centimeters snout to vent or less, which means that's a baby, right? Or if you are a recognized breeder of them uh, and you are documented that you've produced f2 babies so for me i can do that right so i i'm on you know second generation third generation captive bred blues now so i'm recognized by the canadian authorities as having done that and so when i ex i can export them to europe now and that's great because europe has not seen i mean technically or legally has not seen an adult imported tree monitor now for a few couple years probably right so they did it the right way you know they shut down they conserved wild populations by basically squashing the import of adult animals right and that's that and it didn't limit it for people that already have them it didn't limit it for people that are breeding them right because i mean you know, private, I mean, private breeders are the ones that are gaining the knowledge on these things. And they're the ones that are, you know, ultimately, you know, if I dare use the word going to conserve the species or protect the species. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, I think Europe did it the right way. I think the U S needs to go about doing it the same way. Right. Mm -hmm. Let the private breeders do their thing. Right. And whatever's in the U S let it move, but maybe regulate the import of them on the u.s side rather than the indonesia side right yeah i i think that's the best way to do it yeah because if, if if you do what they plan to do if if whatever passes and they you know they basically don't allow any interstate travel or or cross-state travel i guess you would say of blue tree monitors then that's it's not good for the breeder and it's not going to help wild populations at all i mean you know what i mean so I don't know. What do you think, Bri? Yeah, I think more tree monitors are being produced now than ever before. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's, you know, it's a catch because that's an important thing for wild populations, for sure. Um, I don't think, kind of as I said before, I don't think that getting, when they're, if they were to become listed here, you know, it's not, it's just going to reroute where those animals are going. While it's a good thing that the European Union has done this situation of only letting in babies and stopping any adults going there, um, if everybody did that, that would have an impact. But so long as there's markets around the world that want these things, that's where those animals are going to get routed to. Um, and so long as there is that demand, I mean, if you look at like 
the amount of animals that have entered into Asia from Australia. You know, none of those animals from Australia were supposed to come out of there. All these geckos, skinks, monitors, you know, you go to some of these shows and people have these skinks that shouldn't be in captivity in Asia. They should never have left the country in Australia. You're seeing parentes. Um, so stuff's still going to come out. And really, like I said, what in the past a couple times is that really the regulation needs to be done on the Indo side. And I think that can be done through like sustainable farming, like legit farming, legit captive breeding, not this like harvesting of, you know, a gravid female and then getting the eggs and sending them out. But crushing what is already in here, the, the interstate commerce and transport is just going to limit the amount that are being bred in captivity here. Um, it's going to take away incentive for a lot of people because at the end of the day, these animals are expensive to produce, to keep. Um, they take up a lot of space. <clears throat> and so I think in the interim, in the short term, what's going to happen is, yeah, okay, so blues, let's say they were to get listed. Well, now the focus is going to go towards other species to being produced. I mean, that's what I probably would do. And, you know, I would work on my other projects if that were to happen. And I'm going to have less focus and on production, especially at the numbers of blues that I have been doing, which sucks, quite frankly, because right. with doing what I'm doing and doing what Brandon's been doing over the years, that's been providing people with animals that are super healthy, that are giving people a leg up to breed. I mean, my initial group of blues that I received were all legit captive bred. I got 2.3 legit captive bred animals. And I attribute that to a lot of the success. I know Brandon was able to do well with some of his imports. And for people out there thinking, oh yeah, man, that's what I should do. Like, that's not the norm. You know, I think that most people, especially from what I've seen, and I know Brandon can attest, like, a captive bred animal is a different beast when you get it. Yeah. Um, and you just have your your percentages of being successful with tree monitors goes up exponentially if you have a legit captive bred animal. Yeah, um, I think, yeah so, you, guys are, you guys are providing the experience, man. That's that's the biggest thing is like there's no way in hell we would have this opportunity if it wasn't for you guys producing these in the States, you know? Yeah, and at the end of the day, while we may not be like, you know, it can be argued. Like I kind of have an interesting take or like kind of wince a little bit when I think about like, Oh man, I'm doing conservation here with what I'm doing. I don't, you know, a lot of, a lot of breeders say that with reptiles as an excuse to keep reptiles. But I will say that doing what we're doing is definitely decreasing a demand for wild caught animals. It may not be, it may not stop exactly like the amount of animals that are still getting exported out of Indo, but I guarantee you that, a ton of people now. I mean, I can count and go through all of the animals that I've hatched over the past two seasons, and it's a good number of blues have all been here in the States. And those are all captive bred animals now that are in collections that weren't wild caught animals. Okay. That's that many less wild caught animals that have gone into collections now. So I think there is a place for what we're doing with the captive breeding. And quite honestly, like we're putting in the work, we're putting in the time. The amount of money that I've put into my collection to, to kind of maintain and to create what I've got um, is a lot of cash. And why shouldn't I be able to at least recuperate that with the work right. that I'm doing? I've dedicated my life to reptiles and, you know, to cut that out, it sucks. And, and I understand there's good intentions to getting them listed, but that's not going to stop it. And if so, there needs to be a more level-headed approach to it. Yeah, I think it needs to be a little more 
well thought out in 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 what they're doing but yeah, yeah like i mean people don't realize the investment that brought guys like brian and i made in just ensuring that these things breed in captivity right like with the shops that we build with the enclosures that we do and we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars legitimately i mean when we look at the buildings and all the infrastructure involved in it i mean it's 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 an investment you know it's an investment in the species and indirectly it is working towards conservation right they're not releasing our offspring into the wild or anything but for every one that we sell that's one wild caught animal that doesn't get plucked off a tree in indonesia right so right you know it's like brian said this is a lifestyle that he created for himself and and it's like it's like almost taking a piece out of you like you know what i mean which yeah i don't know like you know hopefully this doesn't have to get down to it because i mean the world definitely needs more united states cats and born and bred blue trees um and 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 i don't know i guess like brandon says the best thing we could do is like it's in a sense police ourselves right and like get kind of get our shit locked in and and our ducks in a row before we're forced to do it it's kind of like what europe did right in a sense right yeah yeah i think people are coming around though i mean you're you're seeing, I mean, the stories are out there, right? People know the benefits of captive bread. I mean, you're still getting people buying wild cots, you know, yeah. uh, for monetary reasons or whatever. But a lot of people are making the smart choice now, which is, I mean, at least in Canada, I'm seeing that, right? So that's great. I mean, you know, and it is, I mean, you pay a little more for the captive bred animal, but the headache that you save yourself, the vet bills, the, you know, the, the deaths and then having to rebuy an an animal again. I mean, it's just well worth the, the slight increase in cost basically. I mean, so people are realizing that, right. There's been enough stories out there now about, you know, wild caught animals in general and wild caught tree monitors, especially to not muck with them. Right. Yeah, I agree. So, I mean, if people, you know, people really knew one, I had somebody message me and talk about the, you know, can you talk about quarantine and all that stuff? Right. And it's like, you know, it's a, it's a process, you, you know, you have to really care for those monitors and you have to really know what you're looking at. You really have to know how to deal with them. And, and, you know, like you're talking six, eight month quarantine period to really, I mean, in my experience now, I mean, I've had things crop up after eight months in quarantine you know that i didn't visibly see you know when i first got the animals so i mean there's a whole host of problems that can occur and those are all things that you can negate by just getting a captive bred animal right it's it's amazing yeah brian do you want to wrap up with anything i have to i have to get this shit wrapped up here soon so what do you have, do you have yeah a i'm just i'm just a little excited because brandon the canadian sensation is coming to tinley oh yeah oh Oh, sad that makes my heart are you going this you go next month brandon yeah buddy you're not coming mj bro don't make me feel bad bro i can't i can't i'm locked i'm locked in fucking father mode right now i'm I'm, oh man well i just want everybody to know you guys come by the sundown booth we're gonna have an autograph signing with brandon he's gonna be behind the table you guys can come up get your body parts autographed your you know (laughs) photos I'm actually super excited, man. I, I, I've never been to Tinley. Oh, I'm so butthurt right now, man. Uh, Tinley falls on our Thanksgiving here, so it's always been like a family weekend, and you know, right. I've just never made it down. But yeah, I'm, I'm stoked to sit there and hang out with Brian and other guys that I've, I've, you know, only known with 
on online and talk to you on the phone and stuff. So I, I'm, I can't wait. I can't wait just to see. Yeah. So come on by to me guys. And we will, I will have tree monitors at the table so you can, you know, maybe you can have uh Brandon bless your tree monitors. <laughs> Sprinkle some Canadian lake water on it. There you go. Yeah, Brandon, Brandon, we just had shy of 70 people tapped in tonight. What do you have to say to all your love and support out there? Everyone who just loves, loves your work and just been, been a big fan of you. I, yeah, I mean, it, it, I will thank you to everybody. I mean, I do what I love and the fact that people appreciate it is great. You know, um, people are always supportive, you know, for the most part, I try to help them out as much as I can. If, like I said, if you have specific questions, I get messages all the time. I'm always as transparent as possible with the, with answering the questions, hopefully they get something from it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's crazy to think that people are interested in what you have to say. So I appreciate that. And that's good. Yeah, you know? man. And one of many more podcasts is, uh, you'll be a part of for sure. Cause, uh, right. it's always a great time having you on and have you on with Brian. Like I said, you guys are two of my favorite in the tree monitor game. So this was an iconic episode and, uh, yeah, I'll see you again soon and have fun at Tinley, man. Really have a good time for me. And, uh, um, better go back to a Tinley because after this October, I'll, I will be at those Tinleys again. Okay. Oh, so I'm sure. Can... I'm sure I'll get a taste of it and it'll be an annual thing now. You All know, right. good, good, man. Well, do me a favor, guys. Please go give Brandon a follow on Instagram, Canadian Cold Blood. Um, and yeah, give it up for my boy, Brandon Van Asten, ladies and gentlemen. All right, bro. Have a good night, Brandon. Thank you for your yeah, time. Thanks, fellas. Peace out, buddy. Yeah, buddy. Thanks, thanks for coming again. on, Brandon. Thanks, hey, bro. Good hanging with you. What a good guy. That was a great show, yeah, man. What do you think? Awesome. A lot of information. I mean, we could easily go another two hours, but I just, you know, I'm, I'm on, I'm, I, I got to go clock into my night shift now and uh, take, take over the daddy dish uh, uh, duties and get thrown up on all sorts of cool stuff, man. But great episode. Yeah, bro. Like, me on. yeah, I appreciate you having me on again. And it's good to, yeah, it's awesome being on here and yeah, keep doing what you do, man. So. Yeah, man. Listen, I can't wait to see your baby green. You're gonna have a baby soon. Another, Another baby. <laughs> Another holdback. I ain't after talking yeah, to Brad. I ain't selling that shit. Um, I'm pumped, but, dude. You got to produce me one. I want. I want one. I got to keep building my group of greens. Yeah, I mean that's that's my biggest thing. That that's why I'm all obsessed about this because like I got friends. I would love to put my productions. Like I want to see my people I look up to have my stuff. That's that's the biggest like. I say takeaway for me is people I look at and just admire what they do now have the work that I've done in their collection. And I'm just like, Oh my, like, and I feel like that's the full circle. Like that's, that's what I want. And, and, and the ball Python just will never do that for me at all. Unfortunately. Um, but day by day, man, either way, this is yeah, man, it's going to happen. I look forward to it. I look it's going to happen. It. Bro. It's going to happen just a matter of time because I don't give up, man. I'm a fucking beast. And uh, it is what it is as far as any losses that come with it. Like, look what you went through with the uh, partho egg. You know, it, it's just, it's, it, it, that was a partho egg, right? That, that, for correct me if I'm wrong, that yeah, it to be determined, but more than likely, yes. Okay. Well, fuck, man. Listen, have a good time at Tinley. I'm sure I'll talk to you beforehand, but you know, go crush it at Tinley for me. Have fun with Brandon. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we'll link up at that next Tinley. And I'm sure we'll have you back here, obviously, before you hit up Tinley. Um, but what do you have to say all your uh all the people out there supporting rocking with you, bro? Yeah, man. I appreciate all the supporters as always. And um, yeah, I want to keep producing cool stuff for everybody and um yeah. you know, doing what we can do. So 
I appreciate it. it. All right, guys. Yeah. Sun, sundown Reptiles on Instagram. Um, give him a follow and stop by his table at Tinley. Um, but yeah, give it up for my man, Brian Susan, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, guys. Have a good night. Have a good night, everybody. Peace out, buddy. All right, man. Thank you. Later. All right, guys. Thank you so much for uh, joining me on this epic Tree Monitor Tuesday. I mean, fuck, Brandon Van Ness and Brian Susan doesn't get much better than that, in my opinion. Two of the best. And uh, yeah, this was an iconic episode. Definitely something I'm going to go back and listen to uh, because I'm fucking crazy about these tree monitors. So if this was your first time listening to this podcast um, and you enjoyed it, if you thought it was worth a like, hit that like button, especially for the guests. This is all about the guests. Show your love for the guests. And uh, if you want to hear more Trap Talk Reptile podcast uh, content, Hit that subscribe button. Hit that notification bell. Select all, and you will not be slept on anything I drop on this uh, YouTube channel. Also, don't forget the major audio platforms, Buzzsprout, uh, Apple Podcast, and Spotify. If you're looking for exclusive content, you know what to do. Come join the Trap Talk Patreon family. Come fuck with the trappers. Very first link you see in the description below. As soon as you join the Trap Talk Patreon family, you get a link to the Discord. Taps you in with over 170 keepers, man. A lot of people dedicated by the well-being of reptile keeping the future looks bright man love my trappers again thank you to the sponsors thank you all everyone in the live chats showing the love and support catch you guys here thursday because thursday is going to be a heavy one we go back to Condro town baby with the mayor and his right hand alex warren what a heavy week what a heavy night episode 389 it's in the books have a good night everyone i'll catch you guys here thursday and i'm out Cheers.